probably stop recording. Oh no! <laughs> it's okay. We only did the intro. You can do it again. <laughs> it's a good thing I remembered now and not in an hour. I know that's what I'm thinking. Like, oh god, like that's why I said it. Because imagine. <laughs> okay, sorry. Please no, go fine. do that again. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to Merlisten, a monthly podcast where we talk about BBC's Merlin, the show, the ships, the fandom, and the characters. I'm Miss Snowfox. And I'm Zencredible. And today we are kind of wrapping up season two. Uh, we've done all the episode reviews for every single episode this season, and we're going to talk about the season as a whole, have a chance to really dive into the nitty gritty of kind of the overall arcs and the character journeys and the relationships and stuff just like we did with season one and to help us out today we've got uh one of our dear listeners and commenters and already having been a guest on the podcast once before Anne. hello hello <laughs> um and always has lots of really really uh fun exciting things to share with us uh, she guested on our sweet dreams episode uh which i hope you guys all enjoyed and if not you should go check that out and uh yeah hopefully we'll have some really good discussion so the talkback that we have today is from a commenter called Murples, and they commented on our episode review of Lady of the Lake. And this is what they had to say. I'm a bit late with this, but I really enjoyed the review. This podcast has been such a cathartic listen for me. I was so frustrated with the last season of Merlin, and your conversations have been great for commiserating while also reminding me what I liked about the show in the first place. Yeah, I'm so happy to hear that because... I mean, we have said this time and time again, I just really feel as though Merlissen has like found such a really lovely place in the fandom with people who just kind of want an honest conversation about stuff, which I don't think we have like nearly as often as we should in any fandom. Um, and I think part of the reason why that is is because now kind of you have this new wave of like Merlin fans that are kind of coming in and doing things and you know perhaps um they weren't around when the original kind of frustrations were were going on and they can kind of appreciate the show as a whole as opposed to kind of feeling that week by week frustration of like I just I just wish this wasn't happening all the time like I do really think it's easier to kind of really love something when you can kind of go, all right, I didn't like that episode, but I literally can forget it in five minutes as opposed to, you know, that was what you watched that week and that was all that you got. So I think that having kind of um, people talking about, you know, either what it was like back in the day or what it was like while the show was airing and just being really honest about it can, I just think like maybe gives a bit of a different flavor. And, and, and like I said, we are just honest. So whether that's good or bad, we'll just tell you how we feel. Yeah, special shout out to Fiona. See, some people like it when we oh, do what we do. Don't start. <laughs> We're gonna get into like a like a comment like thing. I don't know if Fiona still listens. Maybe you don't. Probably but... not. Um <laughs> so uh Murple continues by saying I was interested in your point about how characters like Merlin are usually relegated to side characters, since I think this had a lasting effect on the show's storytelling going forward. Merlin usually working from the shadows or pulling strings in the background, so he doesn't often have as active a role in each episode's A-plot, especially from season 3 onwards. I feel like Arthur's character development led him to eventually fill that space of the action hero lead character, even if Merlin technically remained the protagonist. In addition, 
addition to that, a lot of Merlin's development seemed to happen internally and wasn't explicitly explored in the script of the show to the extent that when the show ended, I felt like it wasn't really his story anymore. He also had such little agency by that point that he was barely driving the plot forward, instead just constantly reacting to it. I don't necessarily mean this as a criticism, but at the same time, I don't think it was their original intent with the character of Merlin. I think they just didn't know what to do with him as the series went on. I'm not sure if anyone else felt this way. I never considered this. And even though I knew that Arthur was being given more of an active role once he became king, it just never really occurred to me that he kind of inadvertently became the protagonist and it became less about Merlin as opposed to the Arthurian legend, if that makes sense. And that is something I did notice, and like, but I don't think I noticed it to the extent that this amazing commentator said with so many words I like. <laughs> so I'm really, really happy about that. But yeah, it basically turned into the Arthurian legend light as opposed to what it was intended to be, which was kind of a before they were famous story about the shenanigans of Merlin, but what if he was young? And yeah, it's kind of, oh... I just kind of am sad now. <laughs> That's really sad. I feel like in the later seasons, like four and five maybe, um, Merlin got more of his like own moments when he wasn't with Arthur, like either when he was alone or when he was with another person who knew he had magic or something. And then that's when we could see more of, you know, his inner dilemmas and stuff like that. But like I've especially like season yeah five, I absolutely yeah yeah like whenever Merlin and Arthur were together, it it definitely did feel like Arthur was the main character and Merlin was kind of like in the side. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, and I think that I mean I kind of the my biggest issue with kind of the ending of Merlin was just more to do with the fact that even though I felt like it was a really strong ending for these two people and their relationship like individually, I do think that everybody else suffered as a result of tying up this loose end of the magic reveal, which should have been tied up years earlier. That's the problem. So I think the show suffered for the suspense, which then in turn kind of led into them focusing more on well, how much of the Arthurian legend can we push so that we can kill Arthur by the end, which meant time skip after time skip, Mordred being introduced as an adult. It just, yeah, it felt like it completely deviated from what the original intent was supposed to be. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit kind of, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not that I dislike um, the latter seasons of the show because I genuinely do think that they're that they're doing some things in those latter seasons which are simply amazing like the performances get better every year the tone gets stronger every year like the overall kind of like consistency of the tone I mean and so I don't want to begrudge that it's just kind of yeah it's not it's not really the Merlin I fell in love with it kind of became like its own version of Game of Thrones and I know that the producers were really inspired by Game of Thrones when it was coming out so season five particularly feels like a bit of a rip off of that but um yeah I don't know it's just but I really 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 like this point about Merlin kind of being renegated more to a a side character by the end it's yeah it almost feels as though Merlin's Merlin and Arthur's story kind of started as being on the same path and then Merlin kind of because he was dealing with his own issues kind of went one way and Arthur went the other like once he became king and they still obviously shared a lot of scenes but they weren't necessarily 
you know, kind of on the same uh, w- character arc anymore, which, yeah, is a bit, is a bit sad. But... Do you think okay. that Merlin could have ended as a happy ending? um i don't well i always thought merlin was going to end with arthur being king that that's how i thought merlin was going to end when i first watched it as a teenager um i thought that you know we have prince arthur and we have merlin before he's this big sorcerer and we have morgana before she was evil and gwen before she was queen and the way they sold it to us was kind of okay but what happened before that we all know what happened to Arthur once he became king, but the point of the show, as I understood it, was, okay, but what happens before the bit that everybody knows? And so I thought that the whole suspense of the show was, when will Arthur become king? That's what I thought it was going to be. And also then, you know, yeah, what, when is Merlin's magic revealed? Um, so in a way, I kind of was expecting a happier ending than we got because nobody really expected that they were writing a tragedy. I mean, some people will tell you, oh, well what, well, well, what were you expecting? But it's like, well, don't give me that because you were also there. And like season one, when you go back and watch it, nobody is watching that show thinking, oh, I, you know, this is going to have a sad ending. Nobody's thinking that. <laughs> it's not like there's no way that that's what people were thinking. So, yeah, that's what I like. Yeah, that's how I thought it was going to end, which is why. The funny thing is, is that <laughs> with the whole Arwen relationship as it was developing, literally, like, even in season two, when I was watching it at, like, age 18 or 19, I think I was 18 or so, no, maybe, no, sorry, I was 17 at the time. And I was watching it being like, I mean, this is all very well and good, but it's not like we'll ever see them get married because the show's going to end when Arthur get, becomes king. So that's, like, that was always in the back of my mind. I was like, well, they can't get married till Arthur ascends the throne. And so this entire relationship is just going to be based on a build-up and then no payoff. So that was kind of like my, you know, me me being clowned thoroughly. But um, yeah. Now, I do feel like if they ended there and didn't go on to like Arthur's death and stuff, like they wouldn't have had that kind of dramatic end. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily know if ending with Arthur becoming king would have meant that they had to keep the kind of same childish tone i mean at the end of the day arthur becoming king means uther dying so that is also a very you know sad moment if you've built uther up to have this redemption arc and to be like a really important character to arthur and his death i thought in the in the actual show the way that it ended for him was very sad already so i think even building that up more to be the final kind of climax of the show uther's or maybe even gaius dying as well you know kind of basically the old guard leaving and then the show ending with the new generation or maybe the show ending with Morgana turning against them I don't know but yeah I mean again like I don't know what a Merlin would have looked like if it had ended with the idea I first had when I first watched the show Uh, you know it ended in the way that it ended and you know whether or not they always intended to have the legend play out to the end to Arthur's death you know we'll never know because uh, they're not really doing panels anymore the producer so I won't ever be able to ask them what, what, what were your plans when you first set out to write Merlin I would love to know if they just kind of changed their plans um, midway through because it did feel as though season 5 particularly was quite rushed in terms of like you know 3 year time skip or was it 5 years uh, it was 3, a, time, three years between season 4 and 5 that was it yeah uh, three year time skip and then you know 
so much happening in one season. Um, I feel like it's it, a, yeah. they skipped five years overall. That was it. Uh, one was one it. year between two and three, one year between three and four, that and then three it. years between four and five. That was it, yeah. Um, but tone is something we'll get into when we do this recap. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting kind of to see how people that got into the show once it was finished, you know, because a lot of people got into the show after seeing gifts of the death scene and they were like, oh, so they kind of, you know, it would never have occurred to them to be like, oh, well, I wonder how else it could have ended. But yeah, because I watched it when it was airing. I was like, huh? Like, even on the day that the episode aired, I still didn't think they were going to kill him. I still thought like, oh, no, like they get like, no, like, you know, he's going to get out of this somehow. Like, they're going to pull something like he's like, they're not actually going to kill off Arthur. Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a it was a bit of a shock. I'll be honest. I didn't think they were actually going to go there. Um, but yeah. Uh, and I and now I feel bad because we did kind of deviate from the question, but it is a very interesting conversation <laughs> to have. Like, how did we expect Merlin <laughs> to end? <laughs> Did you have any expectations, Alex, when you first watched it? Because I know you watched it, like, you kind of watched the whole thing as it was airing, but you weren't in the fandom yet, were you? Yeah, I don't think I had expectations. I was just taking it, Mm -hmm. like, at face value as as it was presented Mm -hmm. to me. Because I wasn't in fandom, so I didn't speculate about anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I do remember being in the UK uh, while season five was airing. And one day I was like, oh, wait, I'm in the UK. I could watch Merlin on television. (laughs) (laughs) That must have been so cool. Yeah, but I don't even, I'm not even sure I actually remember to, like, start watching, like, on time. (laughs) So it's entirely possible, like, it's entirely likely that I missed episodes of season five and just tuned in in the middle of it. And I was like, no, you know what? I don't want to watch it without having seen like I don't want to start in the middle of the yeah. season because I already missed three episodes or whatever season five is actually the... has a story unfortunately yeah I, I moved to the UK for three months on the 1st of September I went by train so it was very much taking the Hogwarts Express for me um, and uh, I don't even remember what uh, what day of the week that was 1st of September in 2012 but I think the first episode of season five would have aired a week later or maybe two weeks later. Like they usually started in the middle of September, September, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I don't know if I remembered on time because I was also like traveling within the UK while I was there. And then I went back at the end of November. So I wasn't there for Christmas Mm. for the big showdown. So yeah, no, I really, I don't know if I had any expectations because I was a very casual viewer at the time. Lovely. Um. So yeah, thank you very much to our commenter who <laughs> opened up a, a really interesting conversation. And I think it's a conversation we're going to probably come back to once we get to season four, particularly when things really uh, take a turn in Merlin <laughs> for a very, very different uh, kind of show. So, and then Merpals finishes the comment off by saying, I agree with Rox that the final scene is peak Merlin and Arthur. It was an incredible performance, and it's usually the first thing that comes to mind when I think about their dynamic. And, um, I mean, I've already said that it's my favourite Merlin and Arthur scene in the entire show. I still can't believe that we actually got something that was so tender between them in an episode that had nothing to do with Merlin and Arthur. And it's kind of, I think that's why Lady of the Lake kind of stands out to me always as well, because I know that it's coming at the end, and so it's just like... 
Because we just want to happy. <laughs> and the fact, like, it's so bizarre, isn't it? That, like, you know, my first, my my favorite episode of Merlin is the Poison Chalice, which is right at the beginning of the show, and nothing really beat it out. Like, I mean, there are episodes I adore, like, you know, that have come later, but like the Poison Chalice still has that top spot. And then my favorite Merthyr scene is from like season two, despite you know so many amazing scenes that came after it. So. I mean, I don't know if part of that is nostalgia, but I genuinely feel like now the entire show has passed so many years ago that I think that like all the show is nostalgic to me now. It's not like, oh, I hold something particularly special about season two when, you know, the whole show is now like, you know, so old. So I don't know. There's something about that scene in particular that just really, really touches my heart. And I think it's so well written and the music is beautiful. And yeah, I was very, very um, honored to be able to gush about it extensively. I was waiting (laughs) for so long for this episode review so I could just let it all out. Um, It was like a very, very... And and I think I even remember... uh, was it cello that was on the podcast with us or amp i can't remember now it was amp it was amp because of bracelet watch that was it bracelet watch um, and amp making me cry um live which i've never done before on the podcast <laughs> but she made me tear up and i was like this is just very special to me right now so yeah that was fun um then we have a second comment from someone called cat and they commented on our costumes episode for merlin and arthur and said Hello! My Merlin nostalgia rewatch during quarantine led me to this podcast and I adore it! Yay! Thank you! Yeah! I came to talk about Merlin's reddish brown coat. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) I'm 95% sure he wears it in the secret share of 407 when Merlin starts tearing up over guys leaving, and it's killing me to hear you say that he doesn't wear it again after Lady of the Lake. Also, Bradley's brown trench coat thing, chef's kiss. And now I have to go and look at that uh, show because I'm so glad to have another superior jacket fan because they are (laughs) the the Lady of the Lake jacket is the superior jacket, the deeper, richer brown with the slightly kind of more like soft look. And if he didn't give it to Freya, then I do apologize. I am uh, incorrect and I'm very excited to see if uh, if he does wear it again in the secret sheriff and he doesn't wear it enough is my point is <laughs> he doesn't wear it enough maybe they know that the power of the superior jacket is too much for us all to handle just like the power of Bradley's velvet blue coat is too much and they just don't put him in it often speaking speaking of uh author's outfits uh ocean mist cosplay our friend Vicky has done a tiktok where she rated author's outfits and uh, the swishy uh, Wild West trench coat thingy coat comes up and she also rates it for maximum swishiness and wishes it had been used more. It's a hilarious TikTok. I will link it if I can find it again. Um, lovely. So those were the two talkbacks that we had today. And if you'd like us to mention uh, your comment on the podcast, just like we have done with these two, what you need to do is go over to our website, which is merlisten.paracaproductions.com and leave a comment on whatever episode you're listening to there. And uh, we will react to it live on the podcast if we feel we have something to add or if we're not like repeating ourselves. If you don't care about being featured or you just want to get in touch with us in any other kind of way, then you can reach out through all of our social media. So we're Mer- we are Melissa on Tumblr and Twitter, where, where you can go and leave us ads and 
DMs and reblogs and all that good stuff, and, and we will always reply to you there. Or you can email us, mylisten.podcast at gmail.com, where Alex will send you an email back if you reach out that way. We have an iTunes where you can rate and subscribe and leave a review. Um, I don't think we can reply to reviews, but we will maybe give you a shout out on the podcast if you do. Uh, and then finally, we have a Discord server, which uh, you can really have kind of like an in-depth discussion with the people that listen to the podcast or people that have been on the podcast. Uh, myself and Alex are also in the Discord. So if you just want to come and have a chat with us, then the link is on any of our social medias or just Arthur and Alex. Uh, we, we also have a Ko-fi account, which we are currently collecting donations for Black Lives Matter. Um, and any and all donations that we make up until Christmas will be donated to a charity to a UK charity of um, our choosing. We will let you know what we decide once uh, we get to that date. And yeah, um, I will try. I will try to match uh, whatever amount we can donate through the Melissa and Kofi. I can't commit to it quite yet because I got into a bit of a financial pickle my like in my personal life. But if I can figure it out, I will try to match as much of your donations from Kofi as I possibly can. So by actively donating to our Kofi, you uh, can ensure that I will at least uh, donate some of my own money, if not the entire amount that you guys collectively donated to us. Um, so yeah, if you want to go and support Black Lives Matter whilst also doing it through the love of Merlin, then you can go ahead and do that and you know that your money is going to a good place. Um, and finally, we do have a fun little game that you can play along if you enjoy listening to the podcast, which is our Merlin Bingo. We love to repeat ourselves on here. Basically, that if you want to play bingo whilst listening to Merlin, you can do it. We ask us for a card and if you get a bingo, then you can feel satisfied with yourself, which is a feeling that is short also- around here in 2020. There's also prizes for that. There is. The information for that. Yeah, there are prizes for that. The information are on our Tumblr. Oh, lovely. There we go. Um, so uh, that is all of the places that you can uh, find us and talk to us. We will be really, really happy to hear from you like we were from the lovely commenters that we just uh, mentioned today. And with that, we are going to move into the episode proper and talk about season two as a whole and i know that alex has some statistics before we get into kind of the meat of what's going on yes just uh i'll try to make it short mm-hmm. uh on average uh during an episode there were three female characters of which two were usually from the main cast and one was a guest appearance we had overall six guest characters with names who were women And then on average, per episode, we had seven male characters, five of which were main characters and two were usually guest characters. Uh, There were 15 guest characters with names, if I'm counting Mordred only once, which I'm doing, but if you count Mordred twice, then it would be 16. And we had, if I didn't miscount, three uh, uh, characters of color, Myra, Egelaine, and Lancelot in this season. And nobody else unless i forgot someone please correct me if i did um so, i'm not counting gwen, like oh, okay yes, <laughs> gwen obviously i'm counting poc that we okay, haven't okay. met cool, before cool, like cool, cool. i'm counting lancelot because he wasn't like he was only in one episode in season one i wouldn't count him 
I mean, actually, I will count him in the future because uh, he's here so rarely. He's only ever a guest character, basically. <laughs> in, I mean, in theory, he's a main character, but in actuality, he is a guest character. He's a guest, he's a guest. But like, uh, once Elian starts showing up in season three, I will only count him once yeah. because then he's a recurring yeah. character yeah. that we yeah. see regularly. I'm I'm counting additional yeah. characters cool. of color cool, 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 apart cool. from the main cast. Mm-hmm. Who was the second person you said? Eglaine, that druid that Morgana went to. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, okay, so let's uh, move on to overall impressions of season two. What do we think? Um, and you've not spoken much yet, so I'm going to ask you to go first. What do you think of season two as a whole? What's your first impression or overall impression? Are we doing tone or is that later? Tone is second. That's later. Yeah. So just kind of your, just your general vibe. Let's, let's say that. That's how the kids are calling it, right? Your general <laughs> vibe about season two. Um, well, I, I don't know how to say this without like kind of going into tone, but I, I just thought that um season two was so much brighter and so much more playful than like, even season one, I think. I think season two might be the most um, playful and kind of light season. And I, think, I, I, I don't know why, but I, when I think about Merlin, I always keep thinking back to season two. And like, mm, I love that you said that. I love that you said that because I feel the same. Like season two and three, to me, I feel like are very similar in terms of the style and the rhythm and the tone. And I really feel like when I think of Merlin, I like my mind immediately goes to those two seasons and some episodes from those two seasons. Yeah. That's yeah. so interesting. And I don't know, a lot of my favorite episodes are in season two. I think because season two feels kind of like exploratory, like um, uh, in, in its creation, I think. Like four and five is uh, one is like setting everything up. Four and five is like really like pumping out the drama, and then season two is like you get these random episodes that are not really related, but then you know you get to see different aspects of the story and the characters. Which I don't know if you watch it for the first time, it, it's really memorable. I think and it's fun. What I find interesting about season two is that. Um, apart from maybe a couple of plot points from the first season, you can entirely disregard the first season and just start with the second season because of the whole reset thing. Like, if you don't watch the first season, apart from, like, a few plot points, like the whole Gwen and Lancelot thing, for example, you're not really missing much. So, like, in season two, it feels like season one they made because they made it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just to see if people would like it. And then they realized, okay, people people like this enough. We're going to do a second season. Okay, now we're really going to start. That's what season two feels like to me. It's like they're like, okay, season two was moderately successful. We got uh, we got another season out of the BBC. Uh, so let's really start now. Yeah, and I think that, well, I mean, I would argue that, you know, there are pretty important things happening in season one that you probably couldn't do without. The only thing that's coming to my mind first is Mordred because he really does 
like that you know his episode is a huge yeah deal i'm saying a couple of yeah. plot points yeah, yeah, like yeah. more dr- but for example the entire nimue arc since it never uh, comes up again yeah, no, you can just disregard yeah. everything that had to do with nimue the only things that are mildly relevant to season two are mordred um maybe the beginnings of morgana with her magic and um the whole gwen and lancelot start and i think that's about it and just because like Merlin Merlin kind of how he comes to camelot like just his yeah and that how he yeah. comes to camelot but yeah. that's about it because yeah. merlin and arthur's entire relationship gets reset everybody else's relationships get disregarded it's just the the little bit of arwen that is in season one you can really just there. ignore yeah. because yeah they just repeat it in season two anyway like we said like we've already heard all of this that they're doing in season two with arwen like we know all of this information already we've heard it three times by now exactly so like season two really feels like the real season one except that they did leave out a few things but like they could have easily like put those into season two by just cutting Beauty and the Beast down to one episode. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the BBC or just kind of British television at this time in general, for me, I, I've i always loved second seasons of most things. As I look at my track record of all the shows I've ever loved, actually not just in British TV, but just in general, like in Glee, for example, like I don't know what it is about second seasons. There's something magic that happens in a second season of a TV show. Season one is usually very, very good. Like, otherwise it wouldn't be picked up for more. But there's usually something about the second seasons where they, because they're on that high of success, they are happy to kind of push the envelope just enough. And then usually by season three, they tend to jump the shark a bit or lose their momentum. And season, and yeah, for me, Merlin season two is really, really special. And I like, there are exceptions to that rule. I'm not saying that that's happened with every single show for me, but I do tend to find as I look at my list of shows I love second seasons are always my favorite and I think even the producers agreed when they were doing the behind the scenes for season two they were like everyone loves a second season like and you can tell how much fun they're having I think that's the other thing with season two Merlin you can tell how much fun they're having making it everything is getting an upgrade we've got jousting we've got new costumes we've got more exciting cgi i mean the cgi is much improved even the dragon is much improved this year yeah and all the all the main actors already know each other so they know what chemistry they have with each other they're already friends at this point exactly um and yeah i really like what Anne said about it feeling memorable i think you know it's really difficult for me i I will admit of all the seasons it is most difficult for me to look at season two objectively because it was the first one I watched on TV um so I don't even feel the same nostalgia for season one as I do for season two because I remembered the excitement of watching it week to week and when I started season two I wasn't yet fully in the fandom I'd already started reading fan fiction because I caught up on season one and I started kind of having a couple of ships that I enjoyed so I went in search for fic but I wasn't really super super into it I didn't start writing my first fic until um uh Sweet Dreams which is when I uh wrote my first Merthyr fic and so I think that like it was even a weird time for me where I was kind of exploring what I liked in that fandom and the characters I loved most in the ships and obviously then started to ship Merthyr and that became my main kind of outlet in terms of shipping in the fandom and yeah it's a really personal season for me more so than any other even though season three was the one 
that I probably should feel the most nostalgia for because that hiatus was my first hiatus. And as we all know, I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe uh, hiatuses aren't as special these days. I don't know. But back in the day, hiatuses were like, you know, where all the magic happened, right? Like all the good fic was written, all this stuff was done and the hype for the new season was real. And for a TV show like Merlin, which is British and so it has a very, very short season of only 13 episodes, the hiatuses were eight months long. <laughs> so you really did have a huge amount of time to get hype for the next one. Um, but yeah, season two for me just sc screams like higher stakes, basically. And I do agree with you, Anne, and I don't want to like go too much into tone either, but it is kind of like a slippery slope because there's so much about season two is to do with tone because it, it, it does feel sillier in some respects. And yet in others, I feel like the tone is more serious than ever before because I really do think that with Morgana turning evil uh, finally and with everything that happens in the finale and the dragon um, and, you know... Spellinor dying. Yeah, and some very scary episodes like the Witchfinder, which, you know, uh, what, which I think, you know, is quite scary. Um, I think that everything feels more immediate and things feel like they're kind of moving forward, even though the structure is still very episodic, unfortunately, and we don't really see a continuous narrative i'd argue until i mean if i was being harsh i'd say season five but maybe but that's normal for a television of that era exactly it's very normal. like that's that's very normal like um in a tangent that probably got cut from this episode we mentioned supernatural and supernatural the first i mean there is something of a of an arc in season two and three a little bit like an overarching like there is a little bit of an overarching arc in all the first three seasons but the very the first three seasons feel very episodic uh that's because the monster of the week format was just a thing that they went with and honestly they should have stuck to it but never mind that um but that's just how television was made. And honestly, I don't mind it for Merlin because there's enough overarching things still there. It's just how they're executed is not entirely to the level that I would have liked, but it's still there. And I feel like um, just trying to think of like season one and season two, I feel like even though I still agree with Rox that Beauty and the Beast should have cut been cut down to just one episode instead of two because... That did not need two episodes. Um, I think that the balance between serious episodes and funny episodes is pretty well done in the second season because you have a bunch of like medium episodes where the stakes are like normal monster of the week kind of level. They just meander in the middle somewhere. Then you have very serious and scary episodes like um, Witchfinder and then uh, Lost Dragon Lord, for example. And then you have funny episodes like Sweet Dreams and Beauty and the Beast. And I feel like it balances out pretty well overall. Yeah, it really does, I think, have a nice balance. But I really like what you said about the Monster of the Week thing, Alex, because this is something that I feel like I always mention and I never really um, back my point up. And, and I'm just going to do it now because I think it's really important for the way that the second season and the first one, like all the complaints I had about the first one as well is that Monster of the Week is a really, really amazing format for TV, but the pro or like case of the week and, you know, uh, police dramas or whatever of the week, you know, like it doesn't have to be Monster, it can be whatever of the week. Um, and a really good example of this format in a TV show I love, and I actually recently got my mum to watch it as well on Netflix. It's now 
a relatively old, like nine years old, but it's called White Collar and it's an FBI drama about like a criminal informant working with the FBI. It's fantastic. Uh, it was really popular at the time that it came out. I highly recommend it. But the point is, is that that TV show also has a bit of a case of the week thing, but the, each season has an overarching point. There's a goal someone's trying to do something there's there's always a bigger picture going on in the background there's always a bigger con a bigger stake a bigger bad guy or a bigger issue that they're dealing with so every episode you are focusing on the bigger deal but every episode is a new case it's very rare that a case or a or a or a criminal is kind of um put over more than one episode usually the bad guy of the week is caught by the end of the episode but it doesn't feel disconnected and the difference between that and merlin is that in white collar i feel that the progression of the characters is moving forward even if i don't always need to watch every single episode like yes you should because of the character arcs and like i said the bigger picture guy behind everything each season but with merlin my point that i get frustrated and i know that we always do it's not that it's monster of the week it's that um there is a disconnect between episodes emotionally where to the point we talk about how um, Merlin has a very, very traumatic thing happen to him in Lady of the Lake. And in Sweet Dreams, Lady of the Lake, it's almost like it never happened. They are not even mildly connected, even though they happen one after the other. And in a true Monster of the Week format show, in my opinion, that still needs to be addressed. It's not that the storyline continues, but Merlin shouldn't be happy, jovial, with no explanation as to why in the very next episode. And that's what pisses me off about it. It's not that each episode doesn't have a storyline that follows on from the next, because, yeah, that's not the way that TV was done back then, and nor should it, because it aired on live TV. It wasn't a bingeable thing. But you need to have continuity of emotion, at the very least, is what you need. <laughs> Ah, well, but continuity is the magic word and the very special thing that Merlin very often doesn't have. I don't know if maybe, like, does that make sense what I said? Because I don't know if it makes any sense. Like, it makes sense in my head, but maybe I'm not really making myself... From, from what I heard out of, like, what I actively, like, processed in my brain, that makes sense, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and Merlin season two still has this problem, I'm afraid. You know, we, I've ranted long enough about the reordering of Merlin episodes and... Yeah, There's no point anymore. <laughs> we, we're gonna we're gonna get a little bit into reordering in season three when we actually oh, reorder yeah, well, we actually ourselves. Have to reorder shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna be fun though. I'm actually looking forward to that part because yeah, gonna it's gonna be, be like. Yeah. I, I I assume that people will have this whole uh mind blowing moment where they feel like my mind has been blown when they realize that this should have been this way around just like I was when I found out like three years ago. Oh my so God. I fun. still cannot believe they got away with that. But again that's a conversation for season three. Um this I mean I never questioned it because I didn't really think about it before but then <laughs> someone laid it out for me. Like I read it on Tumblr and someone laid it out for me. I was like, you know what that makes so much more sense. But again that's what I'm saying <laughs> that they got away with it that nobody yeah. thought about it when they watched it. And I don't understand yeah. how but it's I've, I've seen I've seen this happen in other shows as well, like in Leverage, for example, in the first season of Leverage, uh, which I also recommend as an incredibly well done show where it's very much case of the week, but there's an overarching plot from season two forward. Like there isn't one in season one, except that the team is like, like sort of 
uh, growing together as a because it's a sort of Robin Hood meets uh, Ocean's Eleven style kind of uh, thing. So in the first season, the, the the theme is basically the group growing together and learning to trust each other. And then from season two forward, they have a little bit of an overarching plot. But like, um, I forgot where I started with this thought. Uh, um, that it's a, uh, a case of the week thing. And we were talking about it in regards to Merlin. <laughs> Yeah, never mind. We can just cut that. I'm it's not sorry, relevant. I was anyway. trying to help no, you get back on track. <laughs> it's no, it's okay. I I lost my own breath thread. It's fine. Oh, well. um, <laughs> I have something to say. Yes. So I thought what Rock said about Lady of the Lake, and then the next one is Three Kings, right? I think it's really interesting because, um, for I think someone can make an argument for Merlin as a character that, like, some time passed, and you know. Even though someone you really love, like, uh, died, you don't really, like, think about it every single day, like, if a couple of, I don't know, months passed. Especially, like, he only knew her for, like, a couple of days. But I I felt that it was more so of, like, a, a drastic tone change for the audience. So, um, for me, I watched, um, I, I basically watched, um, Lady of the Lake and then Sweet Dreams right after because I didn't watch it when it, when it was originally coming out and it, it definitely felt like a big change and it was kind of jarring but for Rocks like when you watched it on TV when it was coming out what did it feel much different because there was like a time gap um, well the thing you have to remember is that when I Watching TV in 2009 was very different to watching TV in 2020. And I think that part of the reason why sometimes people maybe get frustrated with us when we criticize Merlin is because we're looking at it from like a revisionist kind of angle. And yeah, like 17 year old me didn't think anything of it because this was the only kind of TV I knew. Like Merlin was the first TV show I ever watched. Like I wasn't a TV person. I was a massive movie fan. I never really sat down to watch television, like with a remote control and waiting for a specific time. So I didn't really know any better. And so I was just like, yeah, I'll buy it, you know? And also I was, <laughs> and also I was 17, you know, you just, you don't have, you know, I mean, I owned Catwoman on DVD when I was 17. You don't know anything at that age, you know? So it's just like... I, you, when I was 17, I owned owned VHS tapes. Well, yeah, so. there you go. <laughs> You're That's because I was older. 17 yeah. much earlier than exactly, you were 17. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I think... But I really like your point, Anne, about, oh, you know, Merlin as a character probably, you know, might have gotten over this fairly quickly. And I agree with you. I'm not necessarily saying that it's something that will stick with him for the rest of his life. Unfortunately for storytelling, the way that someone reacts in reality is not the same kind of bullshit that you can pull in a storytelling situation because Merlin might be feeling like he's over it, but the audience doesn't know that. And so you have to communicate that to the audience explicitly. And if the audience has to infer and make some kind of wild jump of, oh, well, maybe he worked through it and da, 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 then you then you failed because it needs to be brought up again, you know? So I think that um, I completely agree that Merlin, you know, he's not going to be traumatized about it for years and years. But, you know, even, you know, Merlin's father is brought up in later seasons, you know, how 
uh, he's died and he misses him and he wishes he could have learned more from him. He's brought up multiple times, you know, so I think that that's a way of doing it correctly and having the continuity there. Um, but at the end of the day, that's just not the format that Merlin was interested in. And, you know, maybe that's for the best because at the end of the day, not everyone is going to be a super fan like us that goes and, you know, reads the fic and tunes and everything. I wouldn't call myself a super fan. Well, at the time, you know. <laughs> okay, fair enough. For a while there, I probably was You know, like, I think that it's fair to call you that at the time that you watch and, you know, we'll go into the fandom. Um, and so people are sitting down with their families, they're, they're eating dinner, you know. The, the vast majority of Merlin viewership is not a Merlin fan. They're just there to tune in and they like the show. And so... You can't really write a TV show like Merlin from the perspective of someone that's going to be creating a podcast about about the about it ten years later. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I completely get that. However, unfortunately for Johnny and Julian, I have freedom of speech, so I can say whatever the fuck I want about the way they wrote their show. Um, but <laughs> uh, let's just segue though into tone, seeing as we've kind of mentioned it. And the reason I say this is because um, it took me a very long time to realize it's almost 10 years, funnily enough, when we were discussing season two originally. Um, season two is the first season where we start getting the quote unquote comedy episodes and i don't know why it took me so long to realize that season one doesn't have any comedy in it i mean it, it does but not uh specific episodes dedicated to it and season two and three are the only ones that have it because i would argue season four doesn't have a comedic episode a servant of two masters is funny but it's not there for comedy it's i you know it's it is quite a dramatic i would say episode with morgana uh being a villain and all that kind of stuff whereas like you know we've got uh, Beauty and the Beast part uh, part one and two. We've got Sweet Dreams, then we've got Goblin's Gold. I don't know if the Changeling can really count as a comedic episode, but and we know for a fact they were doing that on purpose. You know, they were trying to break up the tone of the season. And I guess my question to you guys is, how do we feel about that? And are we happy to see the change in season two? Are we happy that they stopped doing it by season four? What's kind of the what? What's our overall thought about the comedic um, breaks in the season? Uh, I thought um, Alex said that that was pretty good. And I, I think I said that too when I was doing Sweet Dreams. But, um, I thought that it was refreshing, maybe. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's nice to have some, uh, like, uh, a little break once in a while. I do like you don't want every episode to hit very hard. Like you, you can't have, you can't have a witchfinder every week. Mm-hmm. It would just Uther um, would if he had his way. I mean, that's that's what Game of Thrones does. Game of Thrones did very serious episodes every week. There were always high stakes. You never knew who was gonna die and how, or who was gonna, you know get into some really deep shit or like have something really fucked up happen to them with Game of Thrones. So you were very tense watching this every week. I only saw, I think, one episode of The Fall with Gillian Anderson and also Colin Morgan as a guest character. Uh, and also the guy, I forgot his name, who plays Balinor, who's also in this show as a recurring character. All the Irish. Um, yeah, all, all the Irish people. I th- I think it's set in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think Freya's also in it. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so all the Irish people are in this. I'm surprised uh, Katie wasn't in it. Anyway. Oh, that um... must say something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Poor Katie. Not Poor Katie. Katie. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure she was busy doing something else Oh, at yeah, the time. yeah, yeah. Of course, well, yeah that's that's probably the reason. Anyway, um, I only watched one episode of that, and I could already tell from that one episode that I would not enjoy watching the rest of the show because it already felt again like there was it was going to be tense every episode and i i do not enjoy like sometimes i uh you know i'm fine with sitting down and watching like with, like with game of thrones um apart from the first two seasons which i binged because they had been out already i watched game of thrones week by week and that's okay for game of like that's i think that was a good way for me to first watch game of thrones because i had a week in between episodes to you know calm myself down again and like uh unclench basically mm-hmm. and um but like uh with merlin which is also a family show you don't want that you don't want to have high stakes every episode so you don't want to go in and wonder like what fucked up shit is going to happen to merlin this week right yeah. that's why you can't have a Witchfinder episode every week on merlin which is why you have like mediocre episodes in between like episodes that i can't even think of the title right now because they're so mediocre i immediately forget about them which is fine like i i need that and then i like that they did some comedic stuff i just think that they um went a little overboard like i've already said five times in this episode alone and million times before beauty and the beast didn't have to be two episodes uh episodes goblin's goal would have been fine for a subplot but not for an entire episode dedicated to it in my opinion um so uh you know i feel like uh some comedic things in the middle to break it up are good just don't overdo it yeah definitely yeah i think it just like depends on the tone of the show like you know like medici for example is definitely like consistently kind of dark and kind of mm. dramatic mm. and intense. But I th- yeah, I watched the first episode of season three and then stopped again because I was like, no, this is too tense for me. Right yeah. now. <laughs> I'll have to watch this another time. Season three is the best, I think. It's just like it's so it's so much. I don't I don't know. Like season two was intense towards the end, but it was more like light and stuff. But then like season three is like intense. Yeah, I need yeah. To, I <laughs> that's that's the feeling I got from this one episode that I watched, and then I so I stopped watching again. Yeah, uh, I, I'm sure I'll get back to it eventually. And that's fair, I think. I, you know, and I I do wonder if some. <laughs> it's really okay. So this is funny because a show like Medici, which was cr- which was filmed and you know put out there on Netflix all at once for us to enjoy and designed to be binged, might actually be better enjoyed week to week, so people which can have it. Origi- that's how it originally airs oh, in Italy. Like it only comes to Netflix once it's done airing week by week oh, in Italy. Okay, it's produced bad. for it's produced for Italian television. Right. That's how it how it first like that's how season two first aired right 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 right. a week and uh you had to see how to get your episodes if you wanted to watch them i see and it took a while for then 
for it then to get into Netflix. I don't even know if it's even on German Netflix now. I haven't I checked. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. Um, that makes sense. Well, yeah, that does make sense because I think that that kind of show is perfect week by week. And the only thing I can really compare it to, because you said, oh, I watched one episode and it was too intense. I kind of had the same experience when I watched Death Note, which is probably, it is, it's exhausting watching Death Note because it is honestly just like, it's a workout for your brain, you know? But yeah, like with Death Note, what is really good about Death Note though is that it is only 20 minutes per episode. So it is very easy to binge in that sense. And it is only one season, even though it's a very, very long season. But I think also I had a really huge issue with it because um, I it was one of the very first shows that I watched and ah. I was still watching it with subtitles because for some reason um, on my English Netflix, I have the Japanese dub and I have the Polish voiceover. This isn't even Polish Netflix. It's just English Netflix. I have the Polish voiceover <laughs> on top of the Japanese dub, but no English dub. And so I... That's hilarious. so bizarre. Like, it's really, really weird. And so um, I could only watch it in Japanese. Now, if there was ever a TV show that, for me personally, was not made to be watched with subtitles, it was Death Note because it is words upon words upon explanation and philosophy and a lot of shit and if i wanted to sit down with a nice episode of death note with my dinner and i decided to cut my food i would have missed <laughs> half the fucking thing which is exactly well, that's why, why you pre-cut your food obviously so that's why i stopped watching uh, japanese subtitles to begin with because i just wanted to eat while i watched something for a change so it was part <laughs> of the reason why i did i was like oh look i wanted to look at this bird that flew past the window oh no i missed half an arc so it's just kind of like no i stopped i stopped doing that but that was one of the reasons and then once my friend fi uh, found me the dub i was like oh okay um this is now much easier but yeah it is very very intense it's a really really good experience but it is very 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 intense and not for not for a um <laughs> kind of a nice light-hearted viewing but it is very very kind of fascinating and it has a lot of questions about life and ethics and all the stuff we sometimes talk about on melissa actually <laughs> Good. Oh, I probably really should watch it then. Yeah, it's, oh yeah, it's it is very, very, very good. Um, and you know, it is uh, I think rated top three on my anime list for a reason. It is yeah, it is absolutely fantastic. Um, but yeah, uh, back to Merlin. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, tone. Uh, yes, I think that like I said in the beginning, uh, the the episodes with high stakes have really, really high stakes, and then yeah, we have some really, really lighthearted episodes. Um, but the one thing that really kind of sets the season apart, um, I would argue, and we'll talk about it more as we get into the relationship side, but we obviously have the kind of more romantic tone of season two, um, which we had a romance subplot in. 105 that was it <laughs> never came back and now we have a kind of romantic subplot running through the entire show which then obviously takes up real estate and i wonder like what season two would have looked like if it had no uh love story in it and if it was just kind of, like what would they have filled that time with because that does take up valuable real estate i mean we have one uh two three episodes that are no sorry one, two, three, four episodes, if you include Lady of the Lake for Merlin's romantic subplot, which are exclusively dedicated to romantic A-plots. So it's kind of interesting. Have you counted Morgana and Alvar? Um, no. <laughs> okay, that is an F-plot, if ever I saw one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I'm counting Once in Future Queen, Lancelot and Guinevere, Lady of the Lake, and Sweet Dreams. Uh, I think those are the only A plots, really. Oh, I mean, do we count Uther and Katrina? I don't really know. Um, it I, is I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't because Beauty and the Beast is more about comedy than the romance. Um, but yeah, that is... Even though Uther is being very sweet and vulnerable in those episodes. In the first episode, yeah. And then the second yeah. one is just pure like crack. It's like In a... the second episode, he's just entirely on drugs. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we will get into Arthur and Gwen uh, and their story like once we look at the relationships. But yeah, I find it interesting that this is, yeah, um, the first time that we get a... Uh, a proper romantic uh, subplot and it kind of you know we do lose that by season five because Arthur and Gwen do take a back seat in terms of like their relationship because they're married now and that's that you know so you know apparently married people don't get development that's just the way that it is I mean you know I I, I'm fine with that I'm not into established relationship fix anyway yeah exactly but I know that a lot of fans of theirs you know probably rightfully so were very upset that by the time they got married they were just like they only got one kiss how dare they only got one kiss they didn't even get one I don't think they even get a kiss kiss at all in season five they kissed on the yeah how dare how dare the show not make them kiss even once despite them being married and author make like there's an actual uh reference to them having sex um anyway i have one thing to add for tone um i finally found my notes i actually wrote notes like maybe a couple of months ago and i forgot about it <laughs> <laughs> okay so what i wrote about tone is that um, I love how um, season two is like, I kind of mentioned this before, but it's really, um, it's like a saturated, uh, saturation of purity and goodness and lightness um, in season two. I think, you know, that is like, that really um, contributes to the, like the fantasy part of the show, which Obviously, it's created by things like dragons and uh, knights and stuff like that. But also, I think like the I- I- idealism and like the hope and stuff like that. The more character like traits of Merlin and like the show itself is like it really. Um, I think that's why season two is really memorable. It it creates this tone of like you know fantasy and like I like an ideal kind of glossy version like what mm. life yeah, yeah 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 but then also like there are you know the dark episodes so yeah yeah i would agree with that that kind of like high fantasy glossy like you know nights yeah just everything about this season two feels really sw- i can't even get like the right word for it it just feels charming to me like it's just a really charming season yeah despite all of the bad things that do happen but there's yeah, just something really kind of high fantasy magical about it and season one but i think because season two looks so much cleaner it looks so much more improved because of the cgi because of the more impressive stuff that they're doing in terms of the action and everything and the costumes are a lot nicer like you know i don't necessarily like gwen's upgrades if you can call them that but you know they do add a pop of color to the screen you know it kind of everything feels like it's in this yeah kind of cinderella fairy tale kind of bubble yeah it feels like it's a classic like you know later it gets more dramatic and 
yeah stuff like that but then season two is always going to be like the classic yeah i do love season two um so uh in in terms of isolated stories i assume like ah isolated i meant as in literally the characters are isolated okay that makes a bit more sense now yeah i feel like they definitely expanded the world in season two um and we have a lot less to do uh with kind of and actually i'm going to get onto this because i i didn't add a category per se but i added a one relationship tag to the list that i wanted to rant about later on but there is a lot less with the ot4 right like we don't really see them interacting much together we have like Merlin and Arthur they go off and do their thing and then like Gwen and Morgana don't even have much to do in this season like together and then Merlin and Morgana have a little bit whenever it's to do with Morgana's magic but everyone kind of does their own thing and then we have there, a lot more guest stars is there an episode where all four of them are actually involved apart of from maybe La- um, Lancelot and Guinevere, Lancelot and Guinevere. But Lancelot, yeah but there, like yeah. But even then, they're not all together at the same time no. doing a thing. Not like um, moment of truth, um, moment of truth, or earlier with the uh, with the poisoned water. Oh yeah, the mark of Nimue. Yeah, so mark there's nothing. Of Nimue, that's yeah, what it's there's, called. Yeah. There is nothing really like that happening. Like I don't even think Merlin, Morgana, and Arthur have anything. And they had loads. Like they had mark of Nimue. They had the beginning of the end when they helped Mordred escape. Uh, oh no, sorry, they have the the fires of Ida Sholas, that's when the OT3 kind of comes back um, into play but obviously it's a bit more angsty not, because... Not really not though. Really. They don't really... No, because that. because Gwen is asleep. No, I meant so Morgana, Arthur and Merlin like as the OT3 that did like a lot okay. of kind of like kind of like FBI type stuff back Okay, in okay. But that's like literally the only time yeah, that that, that more than two of them... Exactly were involved mm. in anything and like i said i think a lot of that real estate was taken up by arwen i think that that kind of had to take the front seat and um then the and in a way it makes sense that they stop hanging or oh, i say hanging out as though they would ever be able to hang out together in real life <laughs> but like they stop hanging out together because arthur is now keeping a secret from everybody else that he's in love with gwen merlin is keeping arthur's secret that he's in love with gwen Gwen is keeping the secret. Morgana is keeping the secret about her magic and she doesn't know about Arwen and Arthur doesn't know about Morgana's magic but Merlin knows about both of their secrets and so it ends up becoming a bit like, well, yeah, they can't really be together as much because secrets are going to come out, right? <laughs> it's kind of one of those things. Yeah, it? what are they going to talk about? Nothing because <laughs> talk about the weather. Yeah. That's how the tradition in Britain about talking Everyone about the weather... <laughs> came came about because you couldn't c- tell someone your secret yeah so you talked about the weather exactly instead. um and i would say that perhaps uther is still relatively front and center in season two gaius has completely i think been relegated to side character at this point but you know uther has got some really cool things that he's doing you know in um Cornelius Segan he's doing some really interesting things and we'll talk about the characters in a minute but you know he's got that going on for him he's got the huge thing with Sins of the Father and obviously he's got two whole episodes all to himself with Beauty and the Beast part one and two and the fires of Edith Sholas he has like a big kind of um angsty ending Gaius is completely irrelevant at this point apart from just being like you know um I don't even know like 
the the mage in the background giving all the advice. I don't know. Well, he's he's still Gaius Pedio, so yeah, he just doesn't have any kind of plots. Like he does have a uh, a subplot in season three, but he doesn't have any more kind of um yeah big things to do. Like you know, he doesn't visit the dragon anymore. He doesn't do any of that kind of stuff. So um yeah, and I think it's interesting. I think that they kind of. I don't know if they'd made this shift on purpose, but it isn't. And now that you mentioned what I said in season one, I'm really grateful for that because now it's really putting it into perspective for me. Yeah, they are really moving away from that OT4 dynamic and they're kind of splitting people up and making them do their own things. And what's really interesting about that is that, uh, not to talk about season three, but when they did Queen of Hearts, that was purposefully an episode they wrote because they were kind of running out of money. Well, not running out of money, but they were like, we need to write an episode that's cheap. And by cheap, it means... It includes only the main cast, no guest stars, no monsters, no CGI, and takes place in Camelot. <laughs> and so that's where Queen of Hearts came from, uh, was born off of that necessity. And that's, yeah, kind of the first time that they actively do that, where they have like all four characters interacting. Obviously, that's a very angsty episode. It's, you know, it's no moment of truth. But yeah season two big departure particularly for a couple of ships i will mention shortly um but yeah references to the legends now i did actually make a list in chronological order of references i came up with and if anybody else has one please jump in because it could be that i missed some out but um the first one once and future queen obviously just that gwen will become queen i don't really think there's much else that needs to be said about that um morgana and mordred uh mordred is back uh he is the real slim shady and he doesn't really do that much in this season to be honest with you he had a much bigger impact on what was going on i feel like last year and i don't really know why he is back maybe just for continuity reasons but (laughs) what (laughs) Oh well, no! It's just like Merlin and continuity. Yeah, I'm not sure they thought that far ahead. Yeah, like I would say he's more superfluous in beginning of the end than he is in the Witchfinder because at least he's there to like pull at Morgana's heartstrings to get her to do things. Witchfinder. The beginning of did did I say Witchfinder? I meant yeah, you said Witchfinder. I I meant Witch's quickening. Sorry, there's too many witches. (laughs) There's too many complicated titles. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not a remedy to cure all ills, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, I had to mention it. It's been a while. That's for you bingo players out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, he because he actually has like a purpose there, you know, to kind of like mess with Morgana and stuff, but in beginning of the end he doesn't really do anything. He just shows up for, I don't know, just to be there and to be like, I love you, Morgana and yeah. It's kind of weird now, like looking back, he completely serves no purpose. And he was in all the promotional material as well. I don't know if uh, if you guys ever saw like the official season two trailer, but him coming through that curtain in beginning of the end when Morgana is sick, like that's in all of the trailers and it's just like, he doesn't do anything, but okay. <laughs> but it's kind of like, you know, the Witchfinder um, promo being, you know, so scary and then, you know, it's not it's not really that big of a deal. I mean, it is still scary, yeah. just in a different way. It just doesn't reveal Merlin's magic, and it's extremely misleading. <laughs> I, mean, Merlin, I mean, Mordred does have that line, which is kind of ominous, like, I will never forget the, forgive this. And yeah, that's true, that's true. And then he forgets about it. Exactly, which is even worse in hindsight. Because... Like, a, like a five-year-old child. 
Yeah, I mean, that's. I think that's what I said before. That I was like a temper tantrum from a child. And then as he grew up, he was like, oh my God, I was so cringe. <laughs> Uh, so I like yeah. I, I I found out that uh, young people these days actually say that oh that would be so cringe so okay, I'm I'm very disturbed by this. Um, <laughs> uh, we have Lancelot and Guinevere, of course, which I mean I have said every bad thing I have to say about what they did to Lancelot in this show, in this season, and with this relationship, but Lancelot shows up. He is in the legends, and so he warrants a mention on this list. Um, maybe the. Oh, so sorry. What was that, Anne? Yeah, sorry. It's a love triangle. Yeah, I mean. Um, crazed over. I'm just yeah. I am. I am tired and exhausted with the short straw that they gave Lancelot, and especially in Lancelot and Guinevere. I'm just like, oh my god, like. Fine, 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 fine. Um, Morgos, who is, I mean, we will have an episode about Morgos, but she was one of the original, um, like three sisters in the legend, and Morgana's sister, or Morgane, or Morgan's sister in the legend. So she is certainly a legendary reference, and it's pretty cool that they brought her on as like one of the main um characters. Like they didn't just kind of create one from scratch. I really like that they kind of like tried to tie that into the whole uh relationship uh thing um although it's kind of weird to me because um obviously morgana and arthur are brother and sister in the legend and then morgos is also a sister and so i find it interesting that morgana and Ar- uh, morgos's and arthur's relationship is never really explored on merlin like they have like the thing where they first meet and they fight but it's never really kind of brought up of like oh you know we're we're kind of related by association kind of thing and even though we know that they probably are actually related by blood based on the family tree that we came up with as well, but that's never brought up again in Merlin either. Um, to be fair, I forget every time how we figure out, like how we how we come up with this family tree. Like every time, every I'm time. just like, how did we do this? Um, we then have Freya who is not in the legend, but she is the Lady of the Lake, who is actually Nimue, who died in season one. (laughs) And I will never understand why they did it this way. (laughs) Of all the things that they did in Merlin, which I don't understand, this is at the top of that list, to cast Nimue as your antagonist and call her Nimue, and then have a completely OC person take the title of the lady of the lake which is one of the most famous like names in Arthurian legend who is merlin's like lover and the his antagonist all at once and the one who traps him in the tree and everything and it's like what okay i guess you thought it would sound cool (laughs) i feel like there there justification might have been that in the even in the legends there are like multiple ladies of the lake so that's probably how they are just like justifying that but like Nimue from season one is like so far removed from Nimue in the legends um other than that she's like she's this kind of 
a new fan fiction that you can read without knowing the canon because it's just so far removed from canon that it's basically an original story just with names from fandom basically and it's, that's it's, that's Nimue on Merlin essentially yeah it's she's uh, it, but it's just kind of I wish they'd at least taken some other like maybe called her Vivian or something or just anything but this like you know just to have like some random there are just too many Vivians uh, already too, too many the show Merlin, yeah true <laughs> But yeah, so she's there, and that's like a reference to the legends. Um, and then I have uh the crystal uh in the witch's quickening, which is referring to the crystal cave, but the crystal cave doesn't actually appear till season three. But that's kind of like a little Easter egg for any people that know the legend and will recognize the crystal as being relevant to the legend. And so that is all of the references that i found i don't know if anybody else has any more off the top of their head okay cool then we have character relationships which i think this is where we'll really get into the nitty-gritty of like you know the kind of overall journey of what's going on so let's kind of let's start with the gaius and merlin that's the first on the list and um i feel as though their relationship really only took a proper turn at the very very end of the season with the whole kind of you know i might not be your father but i'm still there for you but they haven't really had anything else that's kind of propelled their relationship forward it's pretty much just stayed the same in my opinion yeah gaius continues to withhold information from merlin that he might (laughs) need like um i'm thinking about um Sins of the Father, where Gaius doesn't tell Merlin about Morgos. Um, he also continues to tell Merlin not to do something without explaining why Merlin shouldn't do something, because he assumes that Merlin will just blindly follow his orders when Merlin has a history of doing none of that. Uh, so yeah, their their relationship is basically exactly the same. And honestly, I'm not... like. I mean, we all know that I don't like Gaius as a character. I like I love Richard and how he plays Gaius, but I just I don't like Gaius. Um, it's I I'm not mad that he has become more of a background character in this season. Well, there's not much else that they could have really done with him, to be quite honest with you. Like I don't really see where they could have taken Gaius at this point. Um, yeah, yeah. To prison. I know you guys don't. <laughs> I know you guys don't like um like the Goblin episode, but you know I kind of like it because like I thought guys, I always thought that guys had a really big comedic potential, and that was like his. More- I mean, he does. He definitely does. I'm not arguing that. It's just that I just like everybody, everything else about him. Just everything he stands for, everything he is, everything he says. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think he's a funny character. Yeah. Although I'm not entirely sure that's intentional. <laughs> it's the thing. Like his eyebrow, like his permanently raised eyebrow is just it's just absolute meme quality. Like I'm not arguing that. And his his one-liners sometimes are amazing, but that doesn't change the fact that I think he's a terrible character and a bad parent figure for Merlin because he doesn't actually parent Merlin. <laughs> I just love old people. I think that's why I have a soft spot for Gaius. Like, he's definitely not my favorite, like, in terms of, like, I would always choose Uther over Gaius, but he's just, like, he's an old, he's just an old man, and I just love them. <laughs> I think he's <laughs> cute. Um, but no, I, but I do agree that, you know, he has some, he's a very flawed character, is I think what I would Yeah, explain. he's a very flawed character, that's right. Um, and I do think he is actually meant to be that way. I mean, they wouldn't have written him with the 
dodgy backstory without wanting him to be a dodgy character. Like they wrote him mysterious on purpose. It's just that his backstory, which is heavily linked to Uther's backstory, is completely given a back seat and the prequel that I always wanted is just completely forgotten. So I think that's partly why I mean I feel like season two has some nods some, to yeah. that with like with their relationship like we talked about this in the Witchfinder and especially at the end when Uther actually goes to Gaius to apologize and all yeah, of that. Yeah. But um I think the Witchfinder is actually the only episode where like the relationship between Uther and Gaius is ever yeah, a topic. Exactly. That is the unlike only. season one where it's like con well no the other time is um Sins of the Father when I have a scene. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah with when they talk about Morgos. But like there's not much about them, which is fine in my opinion, because it isn't about Gaius and Uther as much as Rox wishes it were. It's about Merlin and Arthur. Same difference. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, uh so speaking of Uther. Uh, the other parental relationship that we have, obviously, that's super important to Merlin is Uther and Arthur. And I genuinely do feel like we've made very noticeable steps in season two uh, for them. Uh, you know, they have obviously a very turbulent middle part of the season. But I think that, you know, Uther and Arthur's relationship for me is so heavily tied to Arthur's arc as a whole that it's difficult to discuss them separately. But what I see particularly is I see a lot more... Um, back and forth healthy back and forth healthy discussion and much more mutual respect between the two of them than there was in season one like Uther actually respects Arthur's opinion now like you know. yeah I was about to bring up um Lost Dragon Lord again yeah. where Arthur actively like disobey like openly tells his father in a very polite way to go fuck himself because he's gonna do what he thinks is right yeah exactly and also and like season yeah. sorry it was just like season one author would have never done that because he hadn't didn't have like because he still had this this belief that anything his father said had to be obeyed at least outwardly then he would go sneak around and do something else anyway but now he's just like and i feel like this is sort of a continuation of the sins of the father because that's the episode where author learn to doubt his father and even though it ended with them reconciled and we see them reconciled over the rest of the season i feel like there's probably still a little bit of like doubt in author or like uh, it's a little bit like the the image of his hero father who does everything right and who does everything for the right reasons still has been chipped a little and like author is still clouded like his his image of uther is clouded a little bit by yeah. doubt now yeah definitely uh, because of because of the sins of the father because there's a part of him i'm thinking even though it was never officially addressed but like i think there's still a part of him that still thinks but what if that really was my mother and what if she said really is true yeah definitely and i think that that is something that arthur kind of carries with him you know for the rest of his life and why the magic reveal becomes such an issue for him because he loses both his parents to magic so so we we know that that is something that he carries with him but like even in the midpoint of the season you know that this is why i find it really hard to kind of completely disregard beauty and the beast because what i love about beauty and the beast part two 
particularly is even though it's such a crack show, it's like we do have those moments where Arthur has a lot of development in this episode. And it's like he, you know, calmly and sweetly and with a lot of, you know, uh, compassion for his father and respect for his position and love as a father, not just as a king, you know, implores him to please listen to him and that, you know, he does, you know, please don't take away my my rights and my place, you know, because I want to be the person that you're proud of. And it's a completely different um, way that he speaks to him than he does in, say, Labyrinth of Gedref, you know, where he is, you know, they're quite at odds with each other. You know, Uther's kind of like, you know, oh, I'm not proud of you. I'm, you know, kind of, I'm, I'm disappointed in the way that you're ch- uh, choosing to deal with this. And yeah, even like you said, in Last Dragon Lord, it's such a turnaround where he basically gives Arthur respect. You know, he shows Arthur respect uh, for his decisions. But yeah, just their relationship as a whole is really special to this show and to see them um, kind of... And I think that honestly... Uther is redeemed through Arthur, I think, like through his love for Arthur and through Arthur's love for him. And because Arthur is the, you know, kind of protagonist light, as it were, um, and he loves Uther, we in turn kind of love Uther. I mean, I don't know if the entire audience, you know, kind of no. felt his redemption, but I think that we feel his paper. There are a very many people in the fandom that absolutely hate Uther and will not forgive him for being abusive. Mm. And you know what? I get it. Mm. Um, Like it's entirely dependent on your own circumstances as well, like your own experiences. And if there are uh, like people in the fandom or in the audience that cannot forgive Uther, even though he obviously loves his children, he just has a, hard time showing it in a way that we accept like he tries to show it in his own way but that's not necessarily good enough for other people Mm. um so i can i can understand why some people don't like uther and are not ready to forgive him i personally don't necessarily forgive him for everything like like putting your in season one, adopt a child in chains and letting yeah. her sleep in a dungeon because she argued with you is not how you deal with anything ever. Uh, but at the same time, I can recognize that he is trying, at least with, like he does love Morgana, even if he can't always show it properly. And he does love author and he has a hard time showing it but when the chips are down you can really tell how much his children mean to him like in uh season one uh le Mortatur, when he literally carries author yeah uh that's that shows how much he loves him when morgana is missing it wrecks him and when arthur like, is all- out fighting in curse of cornelius segan he's held back by his own men to try and bring him into the castle you know it's like yeah he so you can tell that he that he loves them it's just that he has a hard time showing it and that's like these moments are what redeem uther for me personally but i understand that for other people that's too little yeah, too yeah, late yeah, yeah. 
Like, I get that, which is why if someone tells me that they hate Uther because of how he treats his children, I'm like, you know what, that's justified. Yeah, and like, I, and, and like, I completely can understand that Uther is not a character for everyone, and I am never shocked or surprised if I hear people. Uh, people say that they don't like him what I meant though by my comment was I think like when you write a character you have an idea of what you want the reaction to be from the audience and so I can't obviously look into the hearts of every single audience member that watched Merlin but what I'm kind of trying to gather from the narrative and the way Uther is written is that I believe the writers want you to feel pathos for Uther because of Arthur even if that succeeds or not I think Uther is supposed to be at least a little bit sympathetic to the audience and yeah that might not work but I think that's the intention I think particularly with Sins of the Father I think having those walls stripped down and you know i don't necessarily think you write a comedic episode where a character has a romantic you know kind of subplot where he has a tender moment with his son and where he's just being a bit of a goofy guy you don't write that for a character if you don't want the audience to like him a bit you know i think that you don't do that for a true villain in my opinion like I wouldn't have seen that in another show. Like, again, and some people might see him as a true villain, completely justified. I just think that um, the narrative for Uther, especially in season two, you know, we are taking him. I think each season for Uther is trying to humanize him more and more to the point where in season four, his death is very sad. You know, it's written sad. Again, it doesn't matter how you react to it. The episode wants you to feel sad. It's not wanting you to go, yes, the witch is dead. <laughs> no, that's not the, you know, it's not, it's not that tone, you know? Um, and, yeah. uh, and season two he, he doesn't want you to. Yeah, the show doesn't want you to feel about Uther's death the way that you might have felt about Margaret Thatcher's death. Or Nimue's so. death, yeah. Or Nimue's yeah, death. It's not, it's not the same kind of thing. And season yeah, two it's is... It's not the sweet death. vindication of the bad guy finally being exactly. vanquished. It's a very, very sad moment. And like, uh, if anything, you're feeling... like You might not feel sad about Uther, but you're feeling sad for Arthur because it clearly hurts Arthur so much that his father died. So if nothing else, you're feeling sympathetic towards Arthur exactly. who just yeah. lost his father, regardless of what you think about Uther. Exactly. And, you know, bringing it kind of more back towards Uther and Arthur specifically, but it is obviously linked to Uther's character as a whole. You know, Uther and Arthur get on really well in this season. I don't recall seeing any scenes of them in season one where they're just kind of having dinner together chatting and they have that several times in season two you know they're just kind of having a conversation having a bit of banter you know beauty and the beast again as much as i clown it you know for uther it really make you know it brings him down to earth from being this cackling villain which i don't believe he ever was anyway because it's anthony head and you know he's amazing but like you know <laughs> he you know he's got flowers and he's a little bit silly and he's speaking in prose and you know it makes him just funny and silly and to have him and Arthur kind of having that banter across the dinner table just like father and son it completely is a departure from Uther walking up to Arthur on the on the you know um in the tournament arena and coldly kind of saying oh well i know you'll make me proud i really feel their relationship now they are father and son and you know Uther, um, sorry arthur is taking on more and more responsibility from his father and making his own decisions and that is really important to 
both of their characters and I think that their relationship it's a small part of the show but it's a really important part of the show and I'm conscious that Anne hasn't said anything so I'm gonna let her talk now <laughs> yeah I, I agree um I remember like when I was doing the Sweet Dreams episode I said something like that like Uther um part of him is you know redeemed or uh, supposed to be redeemed for the audience through um Arthur's eyes because you know, no matter how bad Uther may be, he's still Arthur's father, and I think Arthur doesn't like let that go. And he, yeah, and especially when you see the death scene, like Arthur actually does feel, you know, a connection to his father. And I think if we are on Arthur's side, um, we, um, inevitably are also like emotionally connected to Uther in some way. Hmm. And that's really interesting because I just realized we, if we're on Arthur's side, but then whose side are we on? Because aren't we supposed to be on Merlin's side? And Merlin hates But the thing is, Merlin, but the thing is, Merlin is also on Arthur's side. Yeah, Merlin. Yes, but Merlin would happily, you know, okay, maybe not happily, but Merlin has had moments in the show where he has contemplated whether the world would be a better place without Uther. And that is a. A viewpoint that the audience also has to get behind so they really have done a very good job of balancing well what the fuck are we supposed to do with this audience because on the one hand we want them to cry for Uther because we want Arthur to cry for Uther on the other hand we want Morgana's POV to come through and we want Merlin's POV to come through and that is a very difficult balancing act and to be quite honest with you you know, now that I'm saying it out loud, I really do believe that they have done a perfect job with Uther in the show, which is so rare because the show is written <laughs> so badly, but they've balanced it so well the where I honestly believe when Uther dies later in the show, you as an audience member, you know, most people won't love him to the extent I will, but I just really love tragic characters. So that's why I feel this way. But for the standard audience member, I do believe that you feel that tug in both directions of, this was a man that did bad things and I sympathize with all three of these characters that feel very differently about Uther. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting, even with Morgana, and we're going to get onto his and Morgana's relationship shortly, right after this, but you know, the fact that in the same <laughs> show, like in the same season, you have Uther and Arthur who are getting closer and closer and Uther and Morgana who are pulling further and further away. And it's like a really interesting kind of dichotomy there and it's uh it's really good and i feel like maybe you're either supposed to fall on one side or the other or you really are supposed to kind of see bits of both and merlin kind of yeah falling right there in the middle he's not quite a morgana and he only really likes uther for arthur's sake <laughs> let's be honest or gaius is because gaius always defends uther um for you know reasons that he has i feel like i'm more like gaius in the in the show in the sense that i defend uther because i believe he does good things now and maybe didn't do good things when he was younger <laughs> kind of thing yeah. um but yeah uther is a very very interesting character i like him a lot um but uh uther and morgana then because oh boy uh talk about family affairs um not quite yet perhaps but definitely having issues quarrels in this show although i would argue that their journey to kind of splitting apart in this season is not done as well as i remembered it and i think it's done better in season one um probably it was i mean we talked about yeah. this in um what was Witches the quickening? hang on 
The witch's quickening yeah. when, like, we as the audience, we've been watching Morgana, like, start to hate Uther, and then she, like, has this impassioned speech about how he's going to hell um and all of that and i feel like for morgana it was logical but like uther like he doesn't understand what the fuck just happened yeah <laughs> and i, so I feel like... like oh i thought we were fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like um i feel like they did do it much better in season one where both of them knew that they were having a fight like if Morgana had done the whole disowning Uther thing in season one, Uther would have understood, oh, it's because I let the druid child die. Well, I wanted to let the druid child die. Like, Uther would have understood that. But now it's just like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. I just, like, it just makes me think of that song by Pink, which is called Give Me One More... Um just give me a reason that's the one and there's a verse where the guy like they're basically like on two sides of the same argument like the girl is like oh this relationship is falling apart and the guy is like what are you talking about and they the, and like they each have a, a verse and the guy like his first line in the verse is um uh i honestly don't understand where all this is coming from i thought that we were fine <laughs> and like Uther <laughs> is literally that guy going i mean everybody knows that song i'm sure like i'm not going to sing it for you but like it, it's such a funny moment like just when she's like they are they are uh, rising up against you i do not know you and like it's just kind of that moment where he just looks stumped and then that line of you will go to your chambers will go down in history is the worst line ever written though and like i will say yeah it now. It's, it's i don't understand how that line made it into the cut like no, like not. even after all the steps that you took like you you, <laughs> you let that air <laughs> just uh, so when Uth like so Morgana storms off after saying uh, from uh, from this point onwards I disown you and she walks off to the the door no. and Uther goes you will go to your chambers <laughs> so, no. and Morgana says and you Uther you will go to hell ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just so bad we definitely mocked it a lot <laughs> during our episode I review. think there was like a like kind of a remix that someone did at the time of like you know a rainbow colored Uther like you know with you know that kind of thing kind of like it being repeated over and over over some trap remix and it was so funny amazing, amazing. Um, but yeah Uther and Morgana's relationship even though it takes a really bad turn it doesn't really feel like it's doing anything different and they had even like they even had so many more scenes in season one where they would just do things together like they just would hang out or talk right like and they just don't have that in this season like they I'm trying it was to replaced with Arthur yeah. and Uther doing things like the whole bit about like Uther and Morgana having dinner together there were references mm. to them having dinner together often mm, like mm. and and then that gets replaced in season two by Arthur and Uther having dinner mm. together. That's true. That's true. That's true. So it's just like Uther. Uther cannot concentrate on more than one child per season. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's a he's a typical guy. We're in for one thought at a time. Maybe that's why Morgana turned against him. She was like, "Well, I'm not being asked for dinner anymore." So. <laughs> 
And I do find the whole dinner thing really interesting in Merlin. And I know it's such a minor thing, but this is something I would think about if I was writing a script. This is why I find it really interesting. Like you have Uther and Morgana eating dinner alone together for, yeah, like you said, several scenes. And then in another season, you have Arthur and Uther eating dinner alone for several scenes with no Morgana, despite the fact that they live in the same castle. And then in season three, you show them eating dinners together on a regular basis. Like they all eat together in season three. And then when Katrina comes to visit, they all eat together again. And it's not important to the plot, but it's just one of those things where it's like, do you actually think about the logic of your universe? It's just no. bizarre. No, of course they don't. I mean, the only reason I can explain it in like season three where they all eat together is that Uther was like, well, I haven't seen my daughter in a year, but I've also grown closer to my son during this time. I now have realized that I wish to spend time with both of them. You know what Uther's like in season three? He's one of those dads that once he reaches a certain age, he starts doing the thing where he wants to take a picture of the family every time they go out for a dinner, like a spontaneous dinner, and then puts it up on Facebook being like, hashtag family. Like, he is that dad. <laughs> By the time we get to season three, he's like, oh, just here with my kids, hashtag family, hashtag good vibes, or whatever. I'm, I'm I'm so glad you said Facebook because that's exactly the kind of social media speed that Uther yeah, would be on. Yeah, like, absolutely. He would be on, on Facebook where he's Morgana and Arthur are both on like on all the social media yeah. except Facebook. Exactly. Like Morgana, Morgana 100% has a TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> and like the reason why I can say this with confidence is because I have an uncle like that. And so I know <laughs> that this is what happens every single time that he comes over from Holland and we go out like with him and the kids and his and his uh, and his other half. And we all got like, you know, we would all go to my old restaurant like every time he'd get the phone out and he'd want to take a picture because he's with the family. And I'm just like, <laughs> Uther would do the same thing. He'd be like, look at um, the family. It's like, yeah, Uther is a family man by the time we get to season three. Um and he's getting there slowly but surely in season two. Um, so if we're done with the parental uh, stuff, let's move on to Merlin and Arthur because... <sighs> okay. Um, Here it goes. No, Aside from rocks. It's... I just really want to know why they do this. Because it's so unnecessary for them to constantly put things back to ground zero just to build them up again. And Merlin and Arthur have such a beautiful like arc in this season. And they did have a beautiful arc in season one, but I do just, I feel like there is more familiarity here. Like by the time we get to the mid and latter points of the season, I really feel like they know each other more. Like I've, like I've spoken about the last dragon Lord in particular, how it just feels like a coming home for them. Like, you know, we have scenes like Lady of the Lake. You know, we don't have scenes like Lady of the Lake in season one. We don't have scenes like Last Dragon Lord in season one. Even in Lamort de Arthur, they're still a bit, you know. So I just, I don't, I just don't know why they, why they're resaying. And and I know Alex that your whole theory is, oh, you know, this is season one reboot. You know, just to kind of get the new viewers in, which I guess makes sense. And apparently, people love watching Arthur be mean to Merlin. So that's that's what sells sells views, I suppose. But it's just like. Oh. Mm. Roxanne is sad now. <laughs> Roxanne is sad now. Um, but in terms of like their actual relationship, we don't have like um 
we don't have like the Mirtha episodes this year, which is really interesting because I still feel like they have. Okay, no, I would say that the Last Dragon Lord like is is probably like, the the closest that we get like in terms of like the number of scenes that they have, but it's still really Merlin's episode. But like, they still have so much development, the two of them in this season, um, particularly towards the middle and latter half of the of the season, you know, um, and it's all kind of background stuff, which I think is really, really interesting. And when you consider the fact that their relationship essentially became the A plot in seasons four and five, even though their relationship kind of took a, I I wouldn't say B plot, I would say A point five <laughs> in season two. Like they have a lot more background moments, but it's moments like you know. Arthur letting Merlin escape in Beauty and the Beast Part 2 without questioning him. Arthur supporting Merlin in The Witchfinder without questioning him. Arthur choosing Merlin to come with him to come and meet his mother. And then Merlin lying and defending Arthur, you know, even though he didn't have to. Arthur um, supporting Merlin in Lady of the Lake. Arthur supporting Merlin and Fire Edith Sholas and then but you know it's all background stuff but it's really really important and then obviously it's completely ruined by what happens in the first half of the season which we've discussed essentially I mean did yeah did Merlin really have to be used as a footstool um not really unless they accidentally took some very very specific bedroom things into the outside world which they probably should not have done in front of the other servants I do apologize Anne but you know you are of age to hear such things so it's okay <laughs> Um, but what do you think about kind of their progress in terms of the season or lack thereof or if you have any opinion at all um i have one note um i think this was um introduced definitely in the first season especially like with will if people remember will <laughs> of course my best boy will <laughs> you remember will <laughs> and then and then also the first episode of season two uh with Cornelius Hagen. Yeah, and I don't think they explore this very much in season two, but I think definitely like the transition from season one to two, they talk about this point that I'm about to make. <laughs> um that I wrote that it's really sad how in order to make Arthur become the best version of himself or like achieve his greatest potential, Merlin kind of has to, or at least he believes that he himself has to suppress everything that makes him so great and like lower himself to be a servant and stuff like that. Um, and I think that's what like Will was pushing him on. And I think Cornelius Segan also kind of used that to try to turn Merlin against Arthur and like that. But well, like, I was thinking like if I was in Merlin's shoes, then how can I know? ignore everything I have and just live my whole life serving someone like Arthur. But I was thinking about how I feel like the thing that Kilgard told Merlin, like his prophecy, um, it, it it's almost like um, something that Merlin's bound to because um, he said that it is his duty to protect Arthur and you know help Arthur achieve his destiny. And I think no matter how bad your life turns because of that you can't ignore that like it also i think gives merlin's life another meaning so i think that's what makes like life livable in that way um even though he has to kind of like 
ignore a lot of things that he wants and a lot of things that don't affect me. Like, you know, you know, like yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, and, and power and like Lady of the Lake, the love and stuff like that. Hmm. Completely, and I think that's a huge part of kind of uh, their dynamic. I'll kind of, I don't want to uh, touch upon it just yet because we're going to get to kind of Merlin's overall arc, but the suffering is definitely, I think, part of what makes their relationship kind of so unique going forward because it is, it becomes more and more balanced in terms of power as time goes on, but it becomes more and more imbalanced in terms of what Merlin is keeping from him. Because I would argue that, by the time we get to season five, Merlin really isn't being his authentic self anymore because he's kind of doesn't really know how to. I don't even think that he's doing it on purpose. He's just so bitter and jaded at this point. You know, in season one, he's being very much his happy-go-lucky, jovial self. And by the time we get further into the show, he is kind of losing a bit of that part of his personality. And that reflects in his dynamic with Arthur, even though he is technically a lot more of his equal than he ever has been before and I think that's a very kind of interesting transition for the two of them but yeah in terms of their relationship I think that season two has some really really major leaps forward and yeah like we've said it has it's you know it's basically ruined by everything that happened in season three um but uh, I think Arthur and Gwen are next, and we've we we have touched upon Arthur and Gwen extensively. I think so. We probably don't need to spend too much time on them. But yeah, I think that the general consensus was that they're not really in a much different position by the end of the show as they were at the beginning. And the episode that really had the ability to propel them into something like developed was sweet dreams and it failed and i think that's the problem with arthur and gwen is that they have a lot of moments and they it's all style no substance essentially it's all big flowery speeches and big moments of love and affection and it's no actual development when you look at the nuts and bolts of it like sweet dreams was a completely superfluous episode for them as a couple because nothing actually changed and by the time we get to last dragon lord they're still at the same point that they were in the beginning of the show which is that they're still kind of liking each other but not saying anything the only difference is now that a couple more people know but they still haven't actually admitted how they feel to each other so what was the point what was the point of any of it that's that's my question. The meaning of life, please explain it to us. Well, even season three has more development for them because thing like actual shit happens. The relationship progresses in terms of them at least admitting it to each other, and people of actual importance find out. Whereas season two, it just feels like a long, long stretch of nothing. Like, I think a lot of what happened in season two could have been wrapped up in just a couple of episodes. I think it was a, a lot of the same, essentially, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, with not much. Yeah, I mean, but even, you know, the changeling is basically another version of Sweet Dreams, right? Like, it's not like it's just yeah it's it's not really any different except this time Arthur's actually going to marry this person but he still doesn't like her Gwen is still jealous so it's just yeah I mean Martha isn't the only ship that suffers from the repeat button you know Arwen has the same problem but it's just um yeah does anyone else have anything to add about Arwen that we haven't covered already in previous episodes nope 
I don't. No. Um, so I have one more thing I wanted to touch upon, which was Gwen and Merlin and Morgana and Arthur, or the lack thereof <laughs> in season two, because where did they go? And why did they go? <laughs> That's my question. Does anyone have an answer for me? <laughs> what do you mean? What, what was the question? Gwen and Merlin and Arthur and Morgana are absent as oh, relationships from the show completely by season two. They had loads of scenes in season one. And you can't even blame Arwen for this because Arwen, you know, t- took up some real estate, but not that much. And, you know, they basically, like, Arthur and Morgana don't have a scene together in season two until episode 11. Like, I don't understand what they were thinking and we are going to have a an armor episode so I don't want to go super into this but it's just yeah I don't I don't know if it was because they were trying to distance Morgana from Arthur so that she could become a more convincing villain like I could you know see that side of it I just but especially Merlin and Gwen like why Merlin and Gwen like they're not becoming villains what happened to their friendship (laughs) What happened to Morgana and Gwen? I feel like I I don't have an answer for Morgana and Gwen because that is just uh, that's just inexplicable to me. (laughs) Like with the way they were set up in the first season um, dad like I needed more of them together. I feel like what possibly happened with Merlin and Gwen is either the writers forgot about it, which is the most likely one, or they assumed that now that Merlin and Gwen and also Gwen and Morgana are established as being close with each other, and like you have the reminder of Morgana and Gwen in Guinevere and Lancelot, but that's about the only time really where it's like really clear how much Morgana cares about Gwen. Um is that they're like, well, they're established now as this, like that they have this friendship. We don't have to spend time on it anymore, which is what I argued that I wish I'd seen something like a a little reference of, for example, Merlin caring about his mother after season one. Like the only time Hunith ever shows up again is in season four when they visit Ialdo because Gwen, that's where Gwen went. Um, And we never hear about Hunith in between any of that so like um maybe the writers just assumed well this is established now we don't need to spend time on it but that you actually have to spend time to maintain the relationships that you established not just in real life but also in a tv show um is entirely lost on them and i think they assumed that it was enough for what they did for morgana and gwen with gwenaway and lancelot and the occasional moments when Gwen clearly cares about Morgana, but then Morgana is very snippy with Gwen out of the blue, out of nowhere, for no, absolutely no reason at all. And um, I don't know. I think they just absolutely didn't know how to actually um, figure out a good way to deteriorate their relationship uh, to the point where Morgana could turn evil without Gwen following her, basically, or Morgana staying good because of Gwen. Exactly. That they just were like, well, fuck it, we're just gonna do it anyway. Like, just any 
way that we can exactly which is not a good way that they did it exactly um and yeah like i said i can't even blame arwen for this because you know you have three relationships that suffered as the result of just one which you know arwen don't have that many scenes together i'm sorry like they're not you know the main uh point of the show so i'm just trying to figure out what the hell we were doing with all the screen time and i'm telling you the screen time went to katrina and jonas who i mean i guess if you're gonna use it on someone might as well be jonas <laughs> i don't know i was about to say you love jonas i don't do front. but i also love moen and i also love armor and i don't love jonas as much as i love those two things so it's like ah jonas why are you why are you gonna hurt me like this <laughs> <laughs> oh, and buddy, I thought we were friends. Yeah, and like, obviously Merlin got an entire episode all to himself for his romance subplot, which and never. I happened. mean, he is the protagonist, which I feel like that is fair. Right? He gets an entire episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like he he deserves like this boy does like has so little happiness, yeah. and he only gets one one love interest per season if we're counting Lancelot and Gwen, which of course I do. <laughs> but the thing is. So, Merlin is not allowed to have happiness in his life. He's the ever. lover killer. Wait, um, did, just... did you see the interview with Colin Morgan? Who, and then he was like, um, the rare moments where uh, Merlin doesn't have a love interest and he or she doesn't die. I, yeah, I, I think know, that he, I yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was a bit of a Freudian slip lesson, but that now is uh, <laughs> immortalized on the internet forever. So, yep, yep. We all know that Colin Morgan thinks that Lancelot and Gwen yeah. <laughs> definitely count as love interest. Oh. I don't know if this was after season two, so it would have just been Lancelot, uh, but still. Well, it I think he was referring to Will, actually. Oh! Look, I forgot about Will. My best yeah. boy, I forgot about him because I was there's Lancelot also. Colin literally verbally did what that Crunchyroll subtitle did where they refer to Twincest. <laughs> it's like, he accidentally <laughs> said the wrong thing except Crunchyroll can't now go and like quickly amend the subtitle. So if Col like, yeah. Colin amended his subtitle very, very quickly, but unfortunately it wasn't quick enough. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's all of the relationships. Um, now, in terms of the character arcs, like, I feel as though we've probably touched enough on like Uther and Gaius. I don't think there's any more we need to add in terms of like their individual things. But um, I wanted to touch specifically on Merlin first, because the one thing that I haven't been talking about yet is the whole thing with his magic reveal or lack thereof. And then particularly the slow descent into his kind of like depression and the slow realization that he kind of notices, Oh, like, I don't think I'm ever actually going to get what I want. And I don't think he realizes this yet by season one. We start the season with him feeling put upon and depressed that Arthur will never know who he is. And this is the thing, is that we have now progressed Merlin as a character who started out saying, um, if I can't use magic, then what have I got? And uh, when will the world know me for who I really am? And now by the beginning of season two, he says, when will Arthur know who I really am he's not so much a vain character anymore as he just wants to be treated like who he is and that is what fuels him for the rest of the season culminating in obviously that heartbreaking moment where he physically chooses of his own free will to give up any chance he has of having Arthur see him as who he really is and living his true self for Arthur's own good and it's 
a really, really heartbreaking part of his character that starts here. Um, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, actually, that was what I was talking about when I was talking about, like, Arthur and Merlin's relationship. Yeah. How, like, Merlin, at least he thinks that he has to give up. And, I mean, it's true, also. He has to give up everything that makes him so great and everything that makes gives him the opportunity to get things like power, recognition, or even acceptance. Um, and he has to kind of give those things up to... To live up to his duty and um, make Arthur the great one. Um, but I think, in my opinion, I think that I don't think Merlin would have been satisfied if he didn't have his um, duty or destiny bound to Arthur's. Because if if he didn't, then what would be the purpose of his magic? You know. I think it's the saddest thing to have. I mean, why does it have to have a purpose, though? Like, why can't he just, like, why can't he just have it? Well, yeah, that, like, that's what I was thinking. Like, you know, um, in the Witchfinder scene, um, in the beginning, you know how Merlin creates the smoke horse? And, like, really, you know, bittersweet scene, because, you know, you can see how much he longs to have that, like, kind of freedom and expression and fun. Um, but... I don't know. I think that some a gift of his that is as powerful as he has um, needs a greater purpose and a, a per- person to kind of accept, um, like someone like Arthur to thrive off of that. I don't oh, know. I think that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I mean, like in the beginning in season one, Merlin asked Gaius, "Am I a monster?" Um, and I I think it would have been really hard for Merlin to accept his powers if it hadn't been for his duty for Arthur. I don't know. I think that Merlin as a character from the first season has been looking for purpose, or at the very least has been looking for acceptance. And I think he doesn't know what he is because he's he's the only person that anyone's ever come across with a gift like that that's so kind of instinctive with no real... Uh, like guidance and so when he comes to Camelot and he finds out that you know there there is a destined reason I do think that makes him feel better the only problem is is that it is that double-edged sword of well now I'm living in a place where my very existence could you know bring about the end of my life and I think that like I said I don't necessarily think that Merlin cares as much about Um, the destiny part of his magic going forward. I think that now that he's gotten to know Arthur, now that they are close, now that Merlin cares about Arthur, which he does, he just wants that relationship to be reciprocal. That's his main goal now. That is his motivator, is he wants Arthur to see him. And he's happy to serve this is the thing is this is his whole character arc he doesn't want to be powerful in terms of the traditional sense of power even at the very end of the show he all he wants is to serve Arthur he's happy being where he is but he just wants to be known because nobody has ever really known him he's never been allowed to Gaius of course does but he also doesn't really understand because he is of an older generation and he also you know um didn't have to hide his magic and he doesn't have that destiny Arthur is someone who is also 
trapped by the position that he was born into that he didn't ask for that he feels stifled in and Merlin can relate to that and now he is there as an outlet for Arthur for his problems his insecurities his issues and can give advice and Arthur can't give him the same in return because he doesn't really know who he is and that is what burdens him I don't think it's necessarily the idea of well I feel like I need to fulfill this purpose all he wants is just to feel normal and so I think that that is really important to him at this point he's moved past I think that shallow phase of I need everyone to praise me you know (laughs) which I think he kind of did have a bit in the beginning of season one um i mean it's that it's also that um i mean people always like people always assume that you know um there it's something bad to want attention but like that's what humans thrive on like we all want some kind of attention like for some people it's like pushing themselves in the center of of everything because they they need that and that can be very annoying and come across as negative but in general we as human beings we want other people to notice us to pay attention to us um to just to to feel like we matter and merlin doesn't feel like he matters because people don't pay attention to him or if they do they do it for uh, the reasons of they think that that he's useless or pointless right when Merlin knows he isn't any of those things he can do things it's just that he has to hide the things that he can do and he wants to like Rock said uh, he wants to be recognized for who he is and what he can do not necessarily because he wants fame and glory like maybe that was a fantasy in the beginning that he had but he has you know he he's become humbler now and he just uh like i think that if merlin's magic had been recognized and accepted halfway through season one that could have gone very wrong where it had would have gone to his head but now he's very humble about it and all he wants is for people or specifically author who he considers a friend despite how much author throws things at him and uses him as a footstool is um that he just wants other people to see him for who he is like Rox said and uh again I forgot where I started with this thought but that's just uh that's just what it is he wants wants, you started it with, he, with yeah. attention yeah he wants he wants attention not in a negative like not how we associate when we say people want attention like because we always associate it with something negative but it's it's not inherently negative to want attention because we all need attention. Like humans aren't made to be alone. And that's what Merlin is. Ultimately, he's alone. He feels lonely because the only other two people, the only other three people who know, no, sorry, four people, four entire people. If we count Freya, it's five entire people who know about his magic. Um, two of Two of which are dead. One of which who is banished from Camelot. And two others are his parental figures who don't really understand any of his problems. So he isn't like, he has no one he can relate to. And that's what he ultimately wants. Like Rock said, he wants someone he can relate to. He wants to be known by his peers. Yeah. And I think. As much as Arthur can be a peer with a class difference. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. And I think that this is really the start of the kind of Merlin that we're going to see particularly in season five, you know, the the scene for me that just stands out 
as a Merlin season two kind of like classic in terms of where his character arc is going is in the sins of the father where he stands there and he pretends to fake a smile and says glad I could help and I think that it's just such a like signifier of where his character is going and you know as well in uh, in curse of cornelia segan just sitting there with you know shit on his face and just the lowest of the low and just saying you know everything i do is for him and he just thinks i'm an idiot you know i just want arthur to trust me and it's yeah i mean this you know this part of the show i think is inherently tragic but like i said we didn't know how long they were going to drag it out for we thought that there was going to be a period of bliss for the two of them (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's where it was i mean all the arrows point in the direction of a satisfying you know arc that's the point Ah, oh, it's fine. Um, yeah, I just oh, <laughs> narrator voice. It was not fine. It, it was. It was. <laughs> it was not fine. Um, but yeah, I just I think that Merlin is in for a in for a bumpy ride, and this is really really where it starts the uh the closed off Merlin that we will start to get uh, in future seasons. He really gets beaten up emotionally a lot in this season. You know his uh um. Freya dies and his father dies and the hope of magic being restored dies so there's a lot that dies uh in this episode um do we have anything else to add about Arthur because I know we've already spoken about him coming to his own in terms of like him and his father the only thing I would potentially add is just yeah kind of him taking on more responsibility the uh the visual of the round table at the end kind of propelling us into what's coming for season three and season three really does give us a lot of new stuff with Arthur and and I won't go into it but kind of the round table is what kind of pushes us into the version of season three Arthur that we'll get but season two I think you know he really has grown up a lot yeah I mean there there was one thing I would have uh liked to discuss about Merlin but we might not have time for it is uh, just what uh, you said that his magic has to have a purpose and um i mean i already said this like why does it have to have a purpose the answer is obviously because merlin feels like he he needs to have a purpose to justify why he has this gift which at time to him feels more like a burden than a gift and i feel like that's something i've probably touched on before is like his purpose didn't have to be protecting Arthur. It's the only reason he latches onto that. It's because that's the first thing he hears, what it's for. If someone had told him it's to uh, be a farmer and help with crop rotation, then he also would have believed that. And like, I guess what, what bothers me a little bit is about is that Merlin never questions that, ever. Like, he gets told by the dragon, who he later finds out is not actually that trustworthy, that his purpose in life, the purpose of his magical gift, is to make sure that Arthur survives and becomes king. And Merlin never, ever questions that. Ever. Yeah, I mean, 
I guess because of the circumstances that Merlin came to Camelot where he basically became Arthur's servant by default anyway. He didn't really have a chance to, you know, you, you don't turn around to the King of Camelot and say, no, I'm not going to. And I and I know that by the time he saved Arthur's life, he'd already seen the dragon. So that was kind of in the back of his mind. But I feel like his magic is very much instinctual a lot of the time. So whether or not he would have still tried to save Arthur's life if he saw him physically in danger there's no way to answer that question we don't know i would like to think that he probably would try to save him because he would i mean i th- i think he would have tried to save him because merlin is even though he's a bit naive he's still a decent person yeah. like his yeah. mother didn't raise someone who would let someone else die yeah. if he's if there's something he can do about it so i'm sure he would have saved arthur even if the dragon hadn't told him about the prophecy it's like I've just griped about this a lot, I know, but it, like not just today, just in general, that it's the whole kind of self-fulfilling prophecy yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Like Merlin likely would have been the kind of person who becomes friend, like quote unquote friends with Arthur, like uh, starts employment for him begrudgingly and then comes to like him and protect him out of his own free will if the dragon hadn't told him like we never had the chance to have like an objective view of their relationship because it's always like it's basically been poisoned from the start because the dragon has told merlin that he that it's his destiny to protect authors so merlin never questions mm, yeah, 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 yeah. that at all and i just basically i just wish merlin hadn't found out about the prophecy until much later yeah, when yeah, he yeah, was yeah. already yeah. emotionally invested in yeah, keeping yeah, yeah. an author alive for yeah. author's own yeah. sake yeah. and that's where i'm just like um it bothers me that it, like merlin's purpose in life or like the purpose of merlin's existence the point of merlin's existence boils down to author yeah basically like it's it's like merlin like I know we've said this before that without Arthur, Merlin wouldn't even exist because and vice versa, Arthur was born yeah. of magic, blah, blah, blah. Magic caused Egraine to die. Then Uther went on a rampage. That's because that's why Bellinor had to run away and met Hunith in the first place, blah, blah, blah. All of that. Um, it's just one more thing where I'm just like, this is very, like, this feels very unhealthy to me, where like the, your entire purpose in life is to be someone else's servant yeah basically i think that i completely think that would have been a really cool spin on it like for him not to find out until much later on i think both are really good in like different ways because the 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 version you're kind of talking about is yeah that kind of i think the problem with that is that if you have like ocs like there's a book series that i really like where there's like a whole mating bond thing that happens and these two characters that sounds interesting oh it's really um it's a really really fun series it's about like fairies okay well now i don't want to say anything because you might read it yeah let's talk about this later (laughs) yeah but uh, yeah but i still can't tell you anything because you might read it no don't tell me anything it will take us on a tangent anyway okay that's not my point is is that when you have a story in which like something happens that feels like it was destined and you find out later on that does definitely give you a different flavor but the problem with something like merlin is that these characters were never ocs everybody knows who merlin and arthur are and so you're not really playing with the audience's suspension disbelief you're only playing with the characters and i still think it would have been a really interesting way to do it 
The thing with the way that they did do it, though, what I think is interesting is that I agree, it's definitely a self-fulfilling prophecy thing. But I think the the interesting thing with Merlin and Arthur and their relationship is that it's kind of like the ultimate arranged marriage AU because an arranged marriage romance narrative is based around the idea that these two people have no choice. They have to be in this situation together. And the way that it develops is that they didn't even notice at what point they stopped kind of being together because they had no choice and started being together because they would have chosen each other anyway. And so I think that that's kind of what they're doing with Merlin and Arthur, even though it's not a romantic storyline, they are put, forced in the situation together, not only physically because of Merlin being uh, hired into Arthur's household, but also um, emotionally because of the destiny that links them, which Merlin knows about. So he, like you said, begrudgingly uh, is kind of placed into the situation. And over time, he actually starts to really like Arthur and believe in what he thinks Arthur will achieve. And so that gradual progression, I don't know if it works as well if Merlin is there of his own free will from the beginning, if that makes sense. But maybe it might have been just as good. I don't know. But I do really like that idea um, with, with like kind of him not finding out about the the destiny but then where would the suspension be for the audience i guess would be my question because the audience knows that merlin and arthur come as a pair do not separate kind of thing because of the legend um i don't have an answer to that right now but i feel like there would have been a way yeah 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 yeah. to do it it's a really interesting Um, idea though i like i really do like it and it would definitely have been um a different a different take on their relationship completely but i guess i I feel like the the way could have just been that merlin genuinely i i think you and i we already talked about this like uh merlin genuinely dislikes arthur yeah on a person from the start and 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 it takes them at least a season if not longer for merlin to come around to okay arthur maybe isn't an entire dickhead and maybe he's he's actually all right like I feel like this could have been just as interesting or even more interesting because you know enemies to friends yeah. to lovers is also a very good trope. <laughs> we stand. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But just to quickly put a bow on it just what you said about the the whole destiny thing about his purpose being essentially for one person. I think this is one of those situations where I do completely agree with you. And like, we absolutely have said that Merlin and Arthur, like as a dynamic, if you put like, if you take them out of the fantasy context and you put them in the real world and you did the same thing in the real world and said, Merlin, the modern version of Merlin is living solely for the purpose of Arthur. That's very, very unhealthy. But I think narratively, the way that these obviously legendary stories that based around destiny and fate and, all these kind of big philosophical concepts, I think to me it works fine because I don't expect, you know, stories based around destiny to have kind of healthy relationship dynamics. And I think that destiny is one of those plot devices that is very tragic all on its own. And so the tragedy of Merlin and Arthur for me is the fact that they are pushed together kind of against their own free will even Arthur because he never really would have wanted to be around Merlin you know he kind of begrudgingly accepts Merlin into his life and doesn't really feel like he likes him at the beginning and then getting to know and love each other on whatever level and then kind of destiny then taking them apart again I think that destiny at the end of the day is 
what drives a lot of these kinds of relationships and i think that yeah they are not relationships that will ever hold up by modern kind of friendship or romantic values but because it is kind of heightened and epic for me i feel like it's just in its own camp but i do appreciate like if you just kind of watch it and you're like i don't like it because it because it feels unhealthy but i think that it is kind of meant to feel a bit icky because it's like you know it's a shit kind of time you know to be you know to have magic and not have anyone know and then this is like the only thing that you can do with your life kind of thing but him kind of making the best out of it and kind of loving everything Arthur stands for at the end of it all um and being like no you know what even if I didn't have a choice I would have still chosen to be here like Mm. feeding him I (laughs) I get that I I can see I can see that and I would agree with that except that Merlin is supposed to be a family show Mm. like I feel like this dynamic would have fit better on something like Game of Thrones where you have the whole like where it can be icky because it's an adult show but like because it's a it's a show for children I'm just like what like what message like of course it's still media and you have to rely on parents to like teach children to have healthy relationships but also like media representation matters and I feel like, um, obviously, this is expecting too much from a 2008 TV show, uh, especially, like, from hindsight in 2020. But, um, like, that's just where where I'm now concerned as an adult of over 30 years with, you know, 15 years of hindsight, is um, that it portrays a kind of unhealthy relationship, a dynamic and we already have a lot of that in media, uh, not just for children, but for adults also, where it's like um, in romantic comedies in which a woman says no. And then the story tells us that if the dude just aggressively and continuously pursues the woman until he has finally worn her down enough so she will say yes to him and then call that a happy ending... And that's just where I'm just a little bit like, I don't want to see this anymore. It's really difficult. And in fantasy, it's even more difficult because I think particularly like relationship ideals in fantasy, especially with this kind of like, I'll die for you, I'll do this for you. Like you find a lot of those kind of things in fantasy. And I will be the first one to admit that I do live for that shit because it's not real kind of thing. I love the unreality of a kind of destined bond that you know would have ne- like one would never have existed without the other and they fuel each other's kind of like you know need to live and they are bound by some common goal or need that's beyond what they are because that kind of shit will never exist in the real world and i think it's kind of it's basically taking storytelling and making it like you you are its boss right like you know mm-hmm. i decide that this is the things that can happen and that destiny is a thing that exists and that it kind of you know is controlling these two characters but i completely do agree with what you're saying that particularly for merlin and arthur you know there is a lot of that kind of merlin being bound by his destiny um and i think that that's why merlin and arthur try to mirror each other and that you know Merlin is in a bit of an unhealthy situation because he is bound by Arthur and he would never really leave Arthur despite the fact that he was going to leave with Freya but let's just ignore that for a second (laughs) he will never really leave Arthur in the later seasons 
at the same time, Arthur is bound, like he says, by his own destiny that he can never leave Camelot. So in a way, Arthur is Merlin's Camelot. He's not really a person so much as an idea. And that's kind of where he's trapped is this is my, yeah, this is my purpose. It just so happens my purpose is a human. And in Arthur's case, his purpose is several thousand humans. <laughs> and it's kind of like done like that. But yeah, it's a really interesting discussion. Like, you know, and it's not one that I think has had much in the fandom because I think you know, their kind of dynamic is very much the enemies to friends to lovers kind of thing, the shipping. And a lot of the time, you know, if you you know if you scratch the surface of any relationship there'll be cockroaches underneath it somewhere you know so i think that Merthyr is definitely not um immune to that i guess it's a sense of what relationship dynamics you enjoy what you're willing to put past i suppose and if that kind of is a limit you know with the whole tied together by fate and people being trapped in a situation and and that's completely understandable you know it's uh it's definitely not not a dynamic for everyone um yeah but it's a very interesting conversation it's a shame that we didn't kind of like you know that the murther episode is so far removed now i feel like we did touch on it though we did touch on this when we did the murther episode how uh, i don't remember it's been about a million years since we did that. i think it was more power balance power dynamic rather than the, yeah i think that's that was more of it then um well, but, I, yeah that, <laughs> that went off <laughs> yeah sorry Super did not mean that, but um, yeah. Um, I think it's a really, really uh, good conversation though to have. And we- and you are trying to say something. Yeah. Um. I think that like, yeah, I agree about the whole relationship thing. But if we see like Arthur and Merlin's relationship as more of like a narrative way rather than like a personal way, like Rock said, um, it's more about the situation and the circumstance that they're in and like I don't know, rather than like their friendship if we focus more on like the duty and destiny well i think in the show duty and destiny are like kind of intertwined um but you know the the song not the song the piece of music in the soundtrack the burden of the burden of duty or something something like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um I remember in Merlis in one of the episodes, it was like, you guys said it was like Arthur's theme. But like, I always thought of it as Merlin's theme. And now that I think about it, I feel like it's like, it can be argued that it's, you know, both of their kind of, um, the complicated situation that they're in right now. Yeah, um, it's, a, yeah. it's a mess. <laughs> it's it's a mess. It's a very, um, sad and tragic but also kind of like grand and kind of hopeful hmm. well Mirtha only works in the situation that it's in Mirtha couldn't work like we said in reality Mirtha only works because it's plotted out and planned that way right like this kind of thing doesn't happen in real life and so it only works in this fantastical destiny context in which you have writers playing puppet with these characters um and that's why i think that it probably would never really yeah be real and that's why yeah in modern AUs it's very very different because that would be ridiculous (laughs) um but yeah uh, it's very interesting but thank you for bringing that up alex because i think it's like a really uh really interesting 
discussion to have and especially in the seasons going forward because like we said this is the season where Merlin starts to really give up a lot for Arthur you know he like I said he basically gives up his freedom you know when he says that Morgos was lying and basically accepts that magic will be illegalized possibly forever <laughs> so yeah it's um it's very sad but I believe that we do still have Gwen and Morgana to discuss but to be honest with you I don't really have anything to cover for them that we haven't already said because Gwen has no arc outside of Arwen and Lancelot and Morgana has no arc outside of Uther and we've already discussed that <laughs> so I don't know if there's anything left does anyone else have anything how about um Morgana's slow descent into evil and then like <laughs> Is it that slow? It's like she does very little yeah, yeah, yeah. most of season two, and then she has a sister. And I mean, we've kind of covered a lot of Morgana's like agency in her own becoming evil. I think that there was none. There was more agency in her approach to life in season one, and particularly like to kill the king should have been her turning point. Damn it. <laughs> so irritating why was alvar in this show it's <laughs> such a creep and just a terrible character yeah oh, don't like him but yeah gwen has almost nothing to do in this season outside of romantic stuff she has like detective gwen uh things that she's doing but like her whole thing is that she will one day become queen and so we have a lot of her kind of behaving more regal and more poised and that kind of thing but again um in terms of scenes that she physically has she has scenes with arthur she has a couple of scenes with morgana she has scenes with lancelot and then the only scenes that i think of of value where she isn't doing anything to do with romance is in the witchfinder even when she has scenes with gaius they're talking about arthur so yeah, it's it's a sad time for Gwen. <laughs> like she had probably more to do in season one than she did in the entirety of season two. How much do you think Morgos's influence um kind of changed Morgana? Or do you think even if Morgos didn't um, you know, interfere, she would have found Morgos or, you know, probably not i mean she doesn't know where morgos lives so i don't think that i don't think morgos had any influence on morgana as such yet in terms i mean she basically kind of manipulated morgana in fires of Edishola to become the vessel and so it's not necessarily like that morgana sought her out like morgos sent her a note morgos asked her to meet like this is the thing morgana is not very active she's a very passive person in all of this and Morgos is actually just kind of like leading the way and I don't think she's using her per se but she also knows that Morgana is very useful to what she wants to get done um her real influence obviously starts in the off-screen time that apparently they didn't feel the need to film and then Morgana comes back <laughs> we're not bitter it's we're very so bitter. like this is this is a time skip done wrong you guys like i can't even merlin honestly completely turned me against time skips for good any time now where i watch an anime where i hear the word time skip 
I get post-traumatic stress disorder because I remember Merlin and how I was just kicked and kicked and kicked again between seasons two and three, three and four and four and five. And I just feel like that did Morgana the dirtiest, honestly, was that damn time skip. Um, the first one in particular. So I just don't really feel like discussing more goes in relation to Morgana is helpful because they, they they don't really have anything to do with each other apart from the fact that more goes like, you know, gives her a bracelet and then Morgana ends up trusting her enough to go out and meet her in the woods. That's it. And then more goes uses her as the vessel for the spell. It's just, uh, yeah, Morgana just, yeah. We've discussed it in Witches Quickening and, and Fires of Edith Sholas, but yeah, just to summarise, Morgana has basically no agency in her evilness. Alvar lies to her, Alvar manipulates her, Mordred manipulates her, and then Alvar gets caught, and Morgana essentially like goes evil because of him. And then Morgos manipulates her, and she allows herself to be used, and then, ki- and then gets kidnapped. I would not, I I object to the phrasing of allows herself to be used. Because Morgana didn't know what Morgos was gonna do. Like, if Morgos had explained it and Morgana had said, yeah, sure, let's go do it, that's, that's a thing. But Morgana, on this occasion, is very much a victim as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant, I guess so. Sorry, I guess I meant more like being used as a tool to take down Odin. Like, yeah, she didn't know any of the specifics, but she is very much like, are you prepared to help me bring about his downfall? Yes, I am. The very, very clear indication of I'm on board. Yeah, she did not consent to what Morgos did to her, but she was very much like happy to follow Morgos into whatever, uh, potentially whatever she was willing to do. Um, She just didn't know that it was going to be as weird as using her body as a vessel to create a sleeping curse, which, yeah, is a very, very outside-of-the-box thinking that I don't think anyone would have, like, thought on their own. <laughs> I don't think Morgana had that on the mind. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very... Yeah, and that's that's the thing. I that, Like, Morgana didn't know what to expect, and I feel like if Morgos had set her down and explained it... Morgana might have been like, well, but wouldn't that also kill everybody else in Camelot? And uh, Morgana might not have been on board with that. So it's just, yeah. Yeah. I've already talked about this. I'm not a fan of how any of this went down and vilifying Morgana in the wake of it is just like very cringe as the children say <laughs> i think it's really interesting how they did that because you know i think morgan Le Fay in the original legends she's not really portrayed at least my limited knowledge she's not really portrayed as someone who's you know tricked into becoming evil or you know um yeah kind of um it has to become evil she is she just kind of becomes on her own will, and I think maybe the choice of the creators to make Mor- Morgana kind of a good character and a kind, um, morally upright character in the beginning, I think they might have made it so that it's inevitable inevitable to make Morgana someone who has to be tricked into. 
Yeah, they kind of shot themselves in the foot, really, let's be honest. And, you know, there have been examples of good characters gone bad many, many times over a lot of different kind of shows, books, etc. Like, it's not something that doesn't have precedent. It's just that they decided to go about it in the laziest possible way. And it's as simple as that. I don't doubt that they had good intentions for Morgana. Um, but <laughs> so did Morgana. You were that broader. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just don't think that they succeeded. Like, I don't think they set out to write a bad villain story for her. I think they set out to do as well as they could, but they just didn't have it in them, unfortunately. And it's not something everybody can do. It, you know, they wrote some parts of Merlin beautifully. Like I just said earlier in this uh, in this episode, you know, um. I think that the way that Uther is portrayed, whether it, you know, kind of happened by accident or not, is absolutely incredible. I think that despite the ups and downs of the con- of the continuity, Merlin and Arthur's relationship in terms of the bond they have, the whole aspect of destiny is portrayed wonderfully in terms of like both the good and the bad aspects of it. You know, there are other things that they didn't do as well. They don't do romance particularly well, and they definitely don't do villains very well. And that isn't just Morgana none of the Merlin villains are particularly deep, you know? And so I think that Morgana was just going to be another victim of that. You know, some people can't do everything and maybe they should have just kind of asked for a bit of help (laughs) and that's fine. Um, You know, we got what we got. Um, I think Morgana gets worse as, as the seasons go on. This is probably still some of the best Morgana that we're going to get. But she doesn't really get much to do anyway, apart from just, yeah, be scared and then, like turn evil (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i guess season three is where we'll really get into our rant about morgana but yeah we're not bitter not at all not at all it was just he said bitterly marks everywhere (laughs) um but yeah uh do we have anything else to say about the ladies so and do you have anything else to say about uh gwen and morgana or are we all done think no yeah cool um yeah that is pretty much everything that we wanted to touch on i think yeah so season two overall again i think we all have fairly ish positive i mean i i love it probably maybe more than most because like i said nostalgia but it's a I don't know, it's just a fun season. It's got a lot, like, it's got something for everyone. And I hate that phrase, but it really does. <laughs> it's got something for everyone. Uh, just not the armor shippers. Um, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, it has stuff for them. It's just that, you know, it's not very good stuff. But if they like it, they, you know, they that's for them to decide. Um, but yeah, we would love to hear your guys' thoughts on season two. The progression of things, whether it's your favorite, whether you have kind of um, like, you know, favorite episode. Oh, that was what I was going to say. Uh, we usually have a favorite section, but I think we forgot about it yeah. this time. But basically, uh, my favorite episode of season two is absolutely Lancelot and Guinevere. Like, you know, it's one of my favorites of Merlin overall. I absolutely adore it. Um, and do you have a favorite episode of season two? Oh, wait, let me quickly look over the episode list. Spoiler, I don't have one. You never, yeah, that's, that's why I, I never have any. Life. That's, I'm just being, I'm just being consistent, unlike Merlin the show. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. Okay, this is kind of typical, but I really like um, the last two, um, Fires mm. of the Last and yeah. The Last Dragonborn. They are amazing, too. They'd probably be my, yeah, my second and third pick alongside, yeah, uh, Lancelot and Guinevere. So, yeah, I, I love those two as well. Um, 
yeah, cool. I mean, uh, so Alex, do you want to do the exit yes. strategy? <laughs> yes. And let's hear where we can find you on social media if you want to be found on social media. Um, okay. I, I mean, I only have one thing. It's Twitter, but I don't use it often. I think, oh, I said it last time. My username is an underscore avenue. But I, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah. It's fine. We'll, we'll link it as well. Yeah. <clears throat> Brooks? I am Snowfox on Twitter and YouTube and AO3, but I don't post that much Marlin anymore. But if you are into anime and specifically if you watch Haikyuu, then go and follow me on social media because that's what I talk about uh, all of the time over there at the moment. So there you go. Amazing. I am Zancredible on AO3. I post fanfic and I'm Zan underscore reads on AO3 where I post hotfic sometimes. And you can also find me on Tumblr as that's what Momotastic likes for occasional regs, where you can also request regs. Although I would advise you not to ask me for Merlin regs because I don't have any recent ones and you can find the old ones in the tags. Our theme music was composed by Sidesteppings exclusively for Merlisten. All other music or effects in this episode come from freesound.org the man up on our cover was made by Brolinski and the cover was made by me next time we're going to have another shipping episode which will by the way also be the last episode of this year in December we will be talking about Amor and Morgwen because these two ships complement each other and we will hope that you will be back for that until then I have been Zancredible and I'm Snowfox and our guest was Anne Bye. 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 <laughs>